Much like the Tao Bachman song, She's So High. That doesn't even make sense. Case dismissed! God bless America! Our apologies to everyone. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that doesn't mind lying. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. This is a very positive step that I should like to see repeated immediately. Well, lucky for you, we are married every day. Hooray. It's true. Even when I am calling in remotely to our podcast. That's right. It's breaking... From a very echoey hotel room in Santa Monica. (laughs) It's breaking new ground for Up Yours Downstairs. You'd think we would have done this before. You would, given, you know, your general propensity for traveling. Yeah, well, you know, I'm like Mechel. I'm like the wind. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My hair is a color that's not found in nature. That's true. Mechel is basically who I want to be. All right. I think. Well, I've got that to look forward to. Uh, you know, something cutting and witty, but also (laughs) blasé. (laughs) I haven't really had time to work this plan up. That's all right. You're you're still young. All right. Well, uh, I guess we ought to, you know, get into this podcast. Yeah, I guess. We have got a lot to get through. We do. And as such, we have dispensed with such pleasantries as <laughs> Cousin of the Week, Tom Repeats History, <laughs> and Fashion Backwards. That's right. Ostensibly three of the most compelling reasons to listen <laughs> to the podcast. But we have decided, no. That's right. We're not doing them this week. It's not happening. Right. As dictators of this podcast, we have made our decision. Yeah. You know, we're all very lucky that it's getting done at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we see Hughes taking a message down on the phone, uh, and she then goes into the kitchen to announce that Mrs. Butte has taken ill and will be out for weeks. So, <laughs> I know we're all bummed by that. <laughs> I'm just laughing at her name, Brony. No, I know. Likewise. It's funny. Uh, <laughs> so they've, they've asked Hughes to take over and to bring Daisy with her, which, uh, you know, I guess Mrs. Butte did the work of two people down there. I'm very confused. What is Mrs. Butte's position? Uh, well, it appears to be housekeeper of Grantham House. So did she also cook? Uh, well, no, because uh, Patmore is there already. So. But then why? Okay. So then why is Daisy needed? Nobody knows. So a person we've literally never heard of. <laughs> right. Has fallen ill. Yes. And then they want Daisy to go to London. Right. Like, what's next? A Nigerian prince is going to need us to wire him a bunch of money? <laughs> no sale, Baron Fellows. Well, we shall see. Uh, apparently, Daisy thought they were only going to be needed for Lady Rose's ball. Uh, but now the plans have changed, thanks to Mrs. Butte's weakness. Uh, Ivy will stay and cook for Branson and Edith, and Ivy helpfully exposits that Edith has been away for eight months in Geneva and now looks very tired. Which, why... When is Ivy even seeing Edith? Exactly. Like, Doesn't she generally have to stay down in the hole? Right. Like, Mary didn't know her name. Right? Yeah. And, I mean, I was I was thinking that maybe Edith's currently, like, the lady of the house and so would have seen them in the last week or so when everybody was in London. But then how would Ivy know? Maybe Edith just always looks that way. You know? Uh, yeah. Also, I've never seen Edith go below stairs even once on this series. True. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. 
She's her father's daughter, man. Yeah. She doesn't see any reason to. Anyway, Hughes responds that everybody's tired and is going to get more so. So, boy, that really sets the tone for the episode, man. Yeah, it's going to be rip-roaring. <laughs> right. Apparently. Everybody's tired and will just get like, more and more drowsy. And then the last shot will be everybody like dozing. Like, what is this? A checkoff play? Jesus. <laughs> Outside, Edith and Branson are walking the grounds. Edith says that she needs to go to London to Michael's office and invites Branson to join her, but he's busy because they're best friends. Uh, well, Edith, yeah. <laughs> Edith warns him that he can't get out of the uh, the ball for Rose's coming out. Uh, and then apropos of nothing, he asks why <laughs> Grantham House wasn't sold during the Grand Canadian Trunkadelic fiasco. And she says that it would have been, but not for enough money to save the estate. And then Branson says, thank God for Matthew. Edith says she misses him, reflecting the opinions of literally no one. <laughs> That's right. Well, she so said, this scene, I wonder if this was like an extra scene. Right. From the British. Maybe not. I don't know. No, I, I well, I don't think so. But yeah, well, Edith says, I do miss him, like in a way indicating, we, you know, nobody really does. Come on. Well, no, and besides, he jilted you outside the Greek ruin or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't your tree. <laughs> Find a new tree. That's right. Your old tree got killed by Nazis, apparently. <laughs> uh, Thomas strolls on into the kitchen to ask Daisy if she's looking forward to London. Uh, and she says it doesn't matter whether you peel potatoes in London or in Yorkshire. Uh, she'll be proven wrong, as it turns out. <laughs> Spoilers! <laughs> yeah. And Thomas asks Daisy to tell Baxter that he's looking forward to the stories she has to tell, which Daisy naturally finds odd. And again, Thomas, what do you think you're going to be named heir to the Granthams? Like, what is your end game? Maybe he does. <laughs> I mean, I really can't figure out why. I don't know. It's like step one, know. blackmail Baxter. Step two, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so none of us are looking forward to Baxter's boring-ass stories. Right. Because she's not even a good spy. No, she isn't. Like, if you want a good spy, you need to find a spy that loves spying. That's right. You, can't, you know what I'm saying? You can't half-ass spying. You really got to go whole hog. Mm -hmm. Watch the Americans. <laughs> as we have not as yet. Uh. Because some of us are in a stupid hotel room in Santa Monica. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Down at the Dower House, the Dowager Countess tells Edith that she's going to London on Tuesday. Lord Grantham got her invited to the supper after the presentation of all of these now marriageable young quote-unquote virgins. <laughs> uh, she asks when Edith is going to London, and Edith says she thinks she'll go tomorrow. She needs new clothes now that she's back to normal shape. Uh, you know, if the whole thing were to come out, she could salvage something by writing a best-selling book on how to lose your baby weight. Right? She looks so she exactly was, the same. Yeah. She was gone for eight months and wasn't showing when she left, so she must have dropped it all in, like, two months? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the best I can figure. Yeah. Although Mary didn't seem to gain any weight at all when she was pregnant or afterward. <laughs> That's so, true. Uh, maybe they're just genetically predisposed to not ever change their body type based on childbirth. <laughs> it could be. That's maybe they just really lay eggs outside their bodies and they hatch <laughs> because McGee is an alien. That is surprisingly plausible. 
So the dowager says that she knows they never talk about the baby, but that she realizes it's on Edith's mind. And Edith asks that they say she and not it, which I think is kind of unfair on the dowager countess, because I thought the dowager countess was referring to it as in the whole shameful debacle. Right. Versus the baby. Anyway, but Edith is clearly insane. Well, and it throws them some sort of postpartum, they took, you know, the KKK took my baby away <laughs> type uh, depression. I, you know, I think she's a bit sensitive about the baby she abandoned and can never tell anyone about, so. Well, the Dowager Countess wishes that uh, Edith had not been away so long, but they, I don't know if that's the hospital in Geneva or the people she gave the baby to. The Swiss government, like, I don't know. Uh, it was best that the baby be weaned by Edith. Which, um, hey, Edith, you're rich. You can get some other bitch to wean your, you know, wedlock baby. <laughs> they didn't think it best. The dowager very sensitively says that she thinks everything worked out for the best. And that Edith's French must be superb. Which <laughs> does not amuse Edith in the slightest. No. Edith is very fatalistic in this episode. Yeah. Because yeah. she's like, that's right, Granny. Let's get back to what really matters. And I, the dowager's like, French doesn't matter at all. I thought <laughs> we discussed that. That's right. My whole thing is let's talk about what doesn't matter. That's that's her whole plan. It's to... worked well for me low these 117 <laughs> years. That's right. And I fully intend for it to continue to do so. <laughs> at Grantham House, London, 1923, we are told. Lord Grantham is complaining about going to something, but McGee says they have to go. It is a concert and dinner given by Lady Windbourne, and they should apparently be grateful for this opportunity. Um, Bart, boys. <laughs> right. Who wants to talk to the Windbournes all night? Mary asks when the American contingent is arriving and how they will manage to fit them in uh, and deal with them. And McGee tells Mary not to be ashamed of McGee's mother, as she is Mary's grandmother, too. Rose thinks it's kind of them to come to her ball. Mary says that Rose hasn't met Mackell yet. Uh, and asks where everyone's going to sleep. Apparently, Grantham House wasn't designed for parties. Uh, McGee says they'll manage and suggests Mary could sleep with Edith. And Mary reacts like this is the worst thing she can imagine. She said she would rather sleep on the roof than share with Edith. Which, like, Wow. Okay, pop quiz, Mary. What would you rather that your husband and new father to your child dies in a bizarre fiery car accident <laughs> or share a room with Edith? Go. Oh, the dying in the car accident, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> what a bitch. Yeah. So Lord Grantham hustles them all out to the Windborns. Uh, he's, you know, as t typically now, he's complaining that they're late. Carson helps McGee with her coat, and she says that all this kerfuffle is making extra work for the staff, and so she'd like for Carson to plan a staff outing for after the ball, but before they go home. Uh, Rose tells McGee that a Madeline Alsop asked if Rose would go on to the embassy with some friends after this dinner. Uh, McGee is reluctant, Rose begs her, and Mary says, your niece is a flapper, accept it. Uh, Rose says she's not a flapper, but McGee and LG are just tired of fighting, so... Exactly like a hipster that like has a fixed gear bicycle and skinny jeans and a handlebar mustache and like retro eighties glasses, but is like, oh, I'm not a hipster. Right. These glasses were my dad's. <laughs> yeah. One she asked by saying, "You don't mind, do you?" Like she's always like 
pushing them so hard. I would not want to be her guardian. I would be constantly exhausted, yeah. honestly. It just seems she just is exhausting mm-hmm. as a person that you have to deal with. I mean, as we will continue to see <laughs> right. in this episode. <laughs> Back at Crawley House, a maid shows in Murty. 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 <laughs> Isabel says, oh, golly, with the Sybil Crawley Memorial golly. Mm-hmm. Uh, have I forgotten some plan? And Murdy says no, he was just on his way to dine with the Scroops. But he's early, uh, plus he suddenly realized that their name is Scroop. <laughs> right. And, like, who wants to hang out with those people? Nobody. Are they corn chips? <laughs> Isabel said she was concerned that she'd have to be deck herself in family jewels. Like, apropos of nothing. Like, fuck off, Isabel. Right. Right. Yeah. When people yeah. show up at your house, you just say, bitch, you sit there and I will sit here. <laughs> And shut up. At least that's how I entertain. That's fair. Uh, anyway, uh, Murphy says that after 30 years with Lady Murphy, he is proof against teasing. So this relationship is going to be a barrel of fun. <laughs> also, considering how much and how fatalistically Murphy talks about Lady Murphy, I'm like, are you Max de Winter? Like, what the hell? <laughs> That's right. I'm very, very confused. That belonged to the first Mrs. Murty. <laughs> anyway, uh, Isabel apologizes for her humble soup, which is hanging out with her. I'm like, is this? You need some friends if this is who you're entertaining. She's like, oh, it's a nice tomato basil bisque. <laughs> That's right. She's been having this whole tea party with her soup. <laughs> So she offers him something, presumably more soup. I don't know how much she keeps around the house. But no, he's just stopped by because he wants to know if Isabel's going to Rose's ball. Isabel says she doubts it. And Murty is bummed. Uh, Isabel says it's not her natural habitat. And like, listen, Isabel, the prom wasn't Cat Stratford's natural habitat either. But when Heath Ledger asked her, she went... And she's never regretted it. <laughs> that is right. He bought her a Fender Strat with his, you know, winning the bet money from, uh, what's his name? That's right. Andrew. Oh, God, what's his name? I don't remember what his name is. Oh. The yeah. guy that plays the, you know, the gross guy, the model. Right. And 10 Things I Hate About You, in case you haven't. <laughs> to our totally topical references. <laughs> Come on. Everybody loves 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, freaking watch it. Yeah, it holds up. We're going to change the tagline to this podcast. If you haven't seen <laughs> 10 Things I Hate About You, don't bother. <laughs> Rose and Alsop arrive at what I assume is the Embassy Club, given all the jazz in the air. Yeah. <laughs> They're waved over to a table, but Alsop stops. Her father has seen her. Rose thinks it must be wild to meet your father in a nightclub, but uh, she says not if it happens weekly. So that is not a healthy father-daughter relationship. Rose says that they should just wave hello to him, but Alsop points out that he is there with the Prince of Wales. Ooh la la. Yeah. Uh, So Rose somewhat reluctantly follows her over, and uh, Daddy Alsop introduces Madeline to the Prince of Wales, who I will be referring to as Eddie. And who's wearing, by the way, the Star of the Order of the Garter. Uh, I noticed it, and I, I looked it up online to make sure that was what it was. What's that for, like, exceptional achievement in skirt chasing? Uh, it's for being already very important. Like, you don't do—it's one of those things. You don't do anything to earn it. 
It's just like, oh, you're already the Prince of Wales? Here, have this other honor. Like, <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And he also introduces uh, Mrs. Dudley Ward, uh, who is a real person. And to be clear, Dudley Ward was her first name. Her name is not Dudley. Her name is uh, Winifred, or as she was generally known, Freda. Frida. I think they call her Frida later in this episode, actually. I, yeah, I think you're right. I, however, will refer to her exclusively as Dudders. <laughs> okay. I like that. Uh, Madeline then introduces a Lady Rose McClare, and she makes a very deep curtsy, as this is royalty. And Eddie says, oh, your father must be Shrimpy Flincher, which uh, I love it when, sh- <laughs> when somebody calls out Shrimpy. And so he invites them to, to join them at the table and asks how old Shrimpy's getting on. Apparently, he put Eddie up in Bombay the previous year, so they make small talk about the weather in India and whatnot. Uh, and then Dudders leans over to Rose to say that she is glad to have... <laughs> Dudders! Uh, I will never stop laughing. <laughs> uh, she says she's glad to have reinforcements, as Eddie had been rather grouchy. Um, and I really like her. Like, I just really like her in this episode. She's, uh, she's very much about her business. Yeah. As, uh, the sort of, you know, official mistress of the Prince of Wales. Right. Well, and she just never seems, like, tense. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. As most people seem tense all the time on this show. Yeah, she does seem pretty relaxed yeah. about everything. Even though, like, she's in a tight spot for most of the episode. Yeah, but she's, you know, she takes it in her stride. Yeah, yeah. In front of Downton, Mrs. Hughes and Daisy are preparing to head over to London. So Mrs. Hughes asks Daisy if she has everything, and she thinks that she does. Branson sees Edith into the car and wishes her to look, and they head off. (laughs) Thomas asks Branson if there are orders for Ivy, and Branson says he'll have something simple for lunch, but he'll have dinner at the pub so as not to make trouble. And Thomas glares at him for reasons. (laughs) Right. Just reasons. This is an episode where Baron Fellows was like, oh, I haven't given Thomas much to do. I'm going to continue not giving him <laughs> but making it seem like there's a lot going on. Exactly. Uh, at Grantham House, McGee greets Blake, who is there hoping to give Mary lunch and take her to the Summer Exhibition uh, which I looked up, it has taken place at the Royal Academy of Arts every summer without interruption since 1769. Also, real talk, I super thought that this was Tony Gilliam <laughs> when I watched it. Yeah. And I had seen it before. <laughs> it's, I, was uh, like, ah. I was like, get out of here, Gilly. And then I was like, wait a minute, that's not Gilly, that's the other one that I also dislike. Yeah, they could have found people that looked maybe a little less identical for these two, but... No, I think I feel like Julian Fellows is like, no, it's symbolism. <laughs> right. It symbolizes how it really doesn't matter which one she ends up choosing. <laughs> McGee says she thinks that Rose is going to the summer exhibition and uh, that it is a nice surprise for Mary, who walks in and uh, says that it's not a surprise. They'd arranged it the previous week. She asks what all the boxes in the lobby are, and they're uh, things for Rose, I guess, you know, fancy dresses and whatnot. McGee tells Mary to be sure that she is back in time for Grandmama, who I presume she means Mackell in this instance, and Mary sighs. Uh, okay, number one, yes. It has been well established that Grandmama is McGee's mother, and then Granny is Violet. Right. Uh, but point. also, why is Mary such an unconscionable bitch? 
about her grandmother. I don't know. I like, mean, I, I can I, understand not liking her Americanness, but like, come on, as the child of a somewhat difficult grandmother, that shit don't matter. Right. I, like, no, you're my grandma and I love you. We're on the same team, grandma. Yeah. Grandma. I mean, to be fair, I, I would say that you didn't see your grandmother once every five years, you know? Like, she I didn't did grow up with her. her uh, every day for a number of years. Right, right. So I think, you know, that that's a difference to an extent. But also, mainly, don't make fun of somebody's mother to her face. I mean, that's the thing to me. Like, this is well, McGee's mom. Well, Mary's never been nice to McGee either. Well, I mean, that's true. Again, thinking that they hatch, the Crawley girls. <laughs> that's why they were so excited that that uh, other baby might be a boy. <laughs> he would just state normally like a human. <laughs> <laughs> down in the kitchen ivy asks thomas if branson wants anything thomas says no and that he's having dinner in the village thomas complains that in the normal way of things branson would be below him but he has to wait on him hand and foot uh ivy always thought branson seemed friendly but thomas says yes but now we have to call him sir which i almost agree with right uh, Except that, like, you know, maybe you shouldn't have been a queer-mo <laughs> and try to marry Lady Sybil yourself. Like, what do you want? I, yeah, I, yeah, well, that's the, exactly the question. Like, what's going to change that at this point? Like, nothing. My point is there is a way to make this storyline not completely nonsensical. I think the nonsense is built in, but I think there's, <laughs> right. there's the case to be built around this making some kind of sense and just it doesn't yeah yeah i agree but we're stuck with it now uh in london hughes and daisy are arriving at grantham house uh but they have gotten there just after mac h and Miguel. sorry i saw him first somehow uh because ivy asks who that man with the fur collar is and it is uh, an unusually clean shaven paul giamatti uh <gasps> yeah uh and he you know i i I don't know i expected to find him more like immediately off-putting somehow i don't know why i do too but he looks real sad yeah yeah i think he's the saddest person that's ever been on this show and i'm including edith yeah yeah well he's american he's allowed to feel his feelings yeah that's true he's coming off a rum go he certainly is i you know i always hate it when my bribes get uncovered by congress personally (laughs) Anyway, Edith heads over to greet Mackel, uh, who's apparently there early, and nobody is there to receive her. Uh, Edith's like, well, I'm here now, and asks after her journey. Uh, apparently, Mackel's maid quit just before they left. Edith asks why, and she sensitively says, who knows why these people do what they do? <laughs> much like much like most people's grandma, she throws the phrase, these people, around. <laughs> Uh, Carson suggests that they uh, let Hughes get in and make some kind of plan. Mikel is surprised to see Hughes there, and Hughes explains about Mrs. Butte's gold-bricking ways. Uh, Mikel is glad that somebody is there who knows what's going on. Uh, Edith greets Mech H, says it seems mad they've never met, and he says he has never felt the need to leave America and still doesn't. And it is so nice to hear a real American accent on this show. It's just so, like, calming. <laughs> no, it feels it feels like coming home. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> um, so enjoy that for the next 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Edith says that Mikel thought McH would have fun seeing the season, and McH says that even Edith should know that that's not his sort of thing. Uh, Edith says that it's nice to try something new, and McH says, well, maybe it is, and maybe it ain't. I just love how low-class Americans always are. <laughs> it just, it, I don't know, it makes me feel pride. Yeah, well, we make a point of it. Like, I know. Well, you know, not anymore. I know. Like in the major coastal cities of which we are members of one. That's true. You know, ain't, nobody says ain't. Yeah. And, no, you know, it's just no fun. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, it's like every time I talk to my family in Ohio, I get excited when I get my accent back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Downstairs, Jimmy Kent introduces himself to some servant who is Ethan Slade, yeah. Mac H's valet. <sighs> and his American accent. Oh, my God. It's already undone our relief at <laughs> Mac H's completely unforced. It's just this, I think... This makes Jack Ross sound like he was raised in Kentucky. Like, <laughs> it it really does. I, it's and absurd. I, you know, and I think it's it's partly. I feel like I don't know if it's the worst American accent we've heard on the show, but I think it's the combination of his accent and his character and the way it's written and performed. It's just so ungodly annoying. No, I mean, like again, you've got Paul Giamatti there, <laughs> right? You've got the perfect example of how Americans are. Yeah. And I understand that this is a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed little git. <laughs> yeah. <but> like, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he asks Daisy if she works at the house and if she's a lady's maid because they need one and pronto, preferably with skin like a rhinoceros. We're just going to call him Accent. Yeah. Because it really does just drown out everything else. Everything else in the scene. Like, this has now become a Beckett play. It's just this guy's face saying horrible things like, Aluminum, rhinoceros, basket. I hate him. Yeah, as do I. Various people head off uh, to do stuff after Mrs. Hughes introduces herself. And then Accent asks Daisy if she's excited. And she says, never excited. And walks off. <laughs> Marry me, Daisy. Oh, my God. Daisy's gone full Patmore this episode. Yeah. She has become the red-faced winching girl <laughs> that she was always destined to be. <laughs> but in her own inimitable Daisy fashion. Right. Speaking of which, Patmore walks into the uh, Grantham House kitchen, having heard Hughes's voice, the sound of salvation. Uh, Hughes says that Mackell is there with no maid, and Accent butts in to explain that her uh, Mackell's maid had had her head bitten off one time too many. Hughes and asks, everyone looks at him like he is a spider. <laughs> right. Like literally, nobody was talking to you, Accent. <laughs> Hughes asks back. Pronounce it ballot. Well, I wish we could make that happen. Hughes asks, asks Baxter to see uh, to see to Mechel, and Baxter says that Mechel and McGee will have to make allowances. Accent again pipes up to say that Mechel doesn't like making allowances. Well, maybe she should have thought of that before she antagonized her <laughs> mate. Agreed. Uh no, and she talks such a big game about being more, like, real than all these upper-class aristocrats. Then why are you such a bitch to your servants? Mm -hmm. Anyway. Good point. Yeah. 
Uh, Patmore is very glad to see Daisy, understandably. Uh, they have a dinner tonight and an at-home after, and Jimmy Kent explains to Accent what an at-home is. It's, you know, just an open house. Although they serve a light supper at 11 o'clock, which, damn. That was totally common. And, I mean, obviously these rituals are much closer to the Edwardian stuff that we covered. Right. But if you'll remember when we went over the etiquette of dinner parties. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really common. Like, dinner would not be served until the, between the hours of 9 and 11. Right. And then they would all stay up until 3 in the morning. It's crazy. I mean, I guess none of them have jobs, so. No, they don't have any, <laughs> you know, instead of the movie Friday, their movie is just like every day. Of the week. <laughs> we ain't got no job. Ain't got shit to do. <laughs> the Crawley story. <laughs> Hughes greets Molesley, and he then walks past Daisy, who is busy passing on Thomas's blackmail to Baxter. Uh, and she's Daisy's like, yeah, here's a just weird message. I don't care. I'm done with it now. I also didn't comment on this in the appropriate scene, but Mackell's entrance outfit was stunning. Mm. She's wearing all these like really bright oranges that go with her unnaturally red hair, and <laughs> yeah. she just looks freaking awesome. All right. Mary and Blake are looking at some douchey caricaturist sketching at the summer exhibition uh, before going off and trying to shag Mrs. Selfridge. <laughs> Mary asks Blake what scheme he is working on to beat down the upper classes, and he says he's not such a robes Pierre as all that. Mary says that she must accept that in a post-war world, we toffs are the villains of every story. Come on, not in every story. Uh, you know, Downton Abbey, for example. Yeah, you're the hero. Yeah. Blake says that he exempts all pig rescuers from villainy, which I think he's really letting her off far too easily <laughs> now that he just realized he wants to bone her. Right. You can rescue like, pigs on. and it's still be a villain. It's also fun to be nice to the person you're trying to bone. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, the contentiousness that makes the sex good. Duh. Watch the Americans. <laughs> if oh, only they shit. could. Here comes Gilly. Oh, shit. He's with Rose for some reason? No. Uh, they go up to them. What does that mean? They just they go up? They No, they just, yeah, they walk up to them. They see each other across the room and walk towards them. You really could have communicated that significantly better. <laughs> Well, because going up means something different on this show. Man, all right. Give me a break. Come on. I will not. <laughs> See? I'm just creating an insurmountable tension for our working relationship <laughs> so that when we do eventually have sex again, it's going to be awesome. Good thinking. You're welcome. <laughs> Mary expresses surprise that Charles Blake has a twin brother, but then she realizes <laughs> that it's Gilly. Uh, Gilly says that he's glad he has some secrets. No, you're not, Gilly. You're an idiot. <laughs> the second you showed up, you were like, I want to marry you. And she was like, okay. <laughs> Rose introduces Dudders. And uh, Mary asks how they met. And they met through uh, Madeline Alsop. Rose has invited uh, both Madeline Alsop and... Wait, who's who was invited to this dinner? Uh... uh, m- Gilly. uh no. Yes? Well, it was confusing anyway. Um, I think she means Madeline Alsop Madeline and Alls- Tony Gilliam. Yeah, because those are the two that are th- there. But Alsop's not there with them. Oh, you're right. Anyway, look. I'm sorry. Baron Fellows, bad form. 
Mary asks if Rose has told Nick G that she's invited more people. And Rose very, like, petulantly says she will when she gets back. And I'm like, you never go back. <laughs> right. Judders apparently knows Blake and is unimpressed. Uh, and Blake asks Gilly if he's coming. And he is, but he hadn't told. I hate this scene. No, it's Look, terrible. Some people are going to some place and other people are not going. Yeah. And, and like Dutters says that she and Blake are the only ones not invited, even though Rose just said that she had invited Dutters. Like, it makes no sense. Look, it's it's the worst flow chart in history. Right. This scene. Yeah. And so then uh, Blake asks Gilly if he's a dog in the manger in like a remarkably dickish manner. Right. Uh, like, remember how you fought at Yutland together, dude? Yeah. Like, why are you being such... I mean, look, one of you is going to get to bone her and one of you is not. Like, there's no need to be so dickish to each other. Agreed. I mean, she's being dickish enough for the both of you. <laughs> right. As far as this is concerned. Anyway, I don't know what being a dog in a manger means, but Gilly says he, you know, values the dinner that is going to be happening. So it's not just that he's chasing after that sweet, sweet crawly poon. <laughs> Dutters tells them to play nicely, and Mary asks if they know how these things work. I guess she means the dinner. I like, guess so. Like, it's... I don't know. Look, it, look, look, this scene. We're moving on. Yeah. Our apologies to everyone. Except Baron Julia, because he knows what he did. That's right. Correct. Uh, back at Grantham House, Carson is glad to see Hughes and asks her opinion on the staff outing. He suggests that they have started opening the new science museum, and he can't decide between that or a trip to see the Crystal Palace on its new site. Hughes is remarkably unimpressed by these two suggestions and uh, suggests he put them to the staff and get their reaction. And Carson does not know that she is making fun of him. To be fair, I think all of Carson's suggestions are totally amazing. I agree. I mean, he winds up suggesting about five different things in this episode, and the one they go with would have been, like, I would have chosen at least three of them before it. I don't know, though, because I do like to go to the beach. I mean, but I it's like, also, like, a British beach. Right, exactly. And they're all wearing, like, your spoiler alert, everybody, they go to the beach. Right. If you haven't already watched this episode. <laughs> You had plenty of time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, they can't, you know, they have to wear, like, winter clothes, basically. It's ridiculous. It is. In the Grantham House sitting room, McGee comes in and apologizes to MacGill for not being there when she arrived. She thought she'd said she'd be there after five. And Mikhail says they got away early, and she didn't think she had to make an appointment. It's like, Which, like, you know, they're planning a whole ball. Right. You didn't have to make an appointment to show up. You had to make an appointment if you wanted somebody there. Like, that's... Yeah. Anyway, McGee then greets Mac H, and he says he's a long way from home. Now, Tom says here that they're happy to see each other, but they didn't seem that happy. I don't think they know how to relate to each other anymore. I th well, then, I don't know. I thought... Anyway. I thought so. Remarkably not happy to see Mac H is Lord Grant. <laughs> yes. Mac L says that they'll be spending some time seeing Europe and enjoying themselves. Mac H is skeptical that he can enjoy anything, being now uh, the new Eeyore, since <laughs> Bates has graduated to being the Batman of the show. <laughs> God, remember when Bates just annoyed us by being spawned in all the time and <laughs> yeah. not a murderer? 
Uh, McGee supposes they want to get some distance from the teapot dome scandal because she's very tactful. <laughs> Lord Grantham says not to bring it up. Uh, Mac H gets all riled up and says it should have worked, that he's good at business. And I love this scene because this is exactly how I would feel <laughs> I got in the teapot dome scandal. <laughs> Anyway, Miguel tells him to shut up, that they came this far to change the subject, which I think is a great way of thinking. Yeah. Of extricating yourself <laughs> from criminal charges <laughs> on the federal level. Yeah. I also, as always, I love McGee's, like, comfortable late middle-aged lady clothes that she wears. Oh, yeah, man. She's practically wearing a muumuu. <laughs> yeah. We see the homely liberal drop some books in the middle of the street, and I feel like that's all you need to say about the scene, uh, because obviously Branson comes up and they meet each other. Anyway, uh, he invites her to go with to the pub and have dinner with him, and then uh, the dowager rolls up and asks after Edith with Branson, uh, and then he introduces the homely liberal to the dowager. And the dowager tells the homely liberal about Rose and that she's going for the presentation and everything. And the homely liberal says, how nice, in like the most sneering tone. Like, if if the dowager countess used that tone with you, homely liberal, you'd be all pissy about it. Then the dowager uh, asks Branson if he's coming to the ball and then says, oh, Tom, excuse me, as the car pulls away. Which I guess her chauffeur just has ESP and knows when... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. When she's giving an exit line. Well, he's been her chauffeur for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So Branson heads off to dinner with the homely liberal. In Grantham House Kitchen, Daisy says a bunch of responsible things, and Pat Moore is so glad she's there. Accent is hanging around where he's not wanted, clearly not valeting. <laughs> uh, and he says, Daisy seems to be in charge. Daisy says that she's worked with Mrs. Pat Moore for a long time, and that just doing your job <laughs> <laughs> Accent asks if she's ever considered going it alone, and she asks if he always tries to change people's lives after he's known them half an hour, <laughs> which I think is great. Yeah. Carson asks Accent if he can be a footman while he's there on big evenings. He says it's normal in England for visiting uh, valets to do so. Accent says okay, and Carson directs Accent to James and Molesley for his livery. Accent tells Carson that his name isn't Levinson. Uh, Carson corrects him and then sneers at him for not having seen Gosford Park. <laughs> right. Come on. Everybody knows that. <laughs> at the Grantham Arms, the homely liberal asks Branson if he's found it hard to live with rich people because she's not prejudiced. Uh, Branson says that losing Sybil was hard and everything else, you know, not. Yeah. She then asks Branson to show her the house. He is surprised. And uh, as are we. That's freaking rude. <laughs> right. And uh, the homely liberal says, aren't you allowed to bring your friends back? This is peer pressure, Branson. Uh, just say no. Like, come on. You don't need this passive aggressive shit. Back at Grantham House, rich people wander around wondering why they bothered ruling the world if they can't ever wear comfortable clothes <laughs> at a party. They just all seem so sad. Yeah. Uh, well, it's not a party house either, so I wow. imagine they're quite put out on a number of fronts. Yeah. Lord Grantham wishes Branson were there. McGee is pleased to hear it, and Lord Grantham says, no, I mean, he's bringing ISIS, and I do miss him. <laughs> so, this line is written as a joke. 
Uh, but Hugh Bonneville plays it 100% straight, so we think that he too has been listening to the podcast. That's right. Rose brings up uh, Allsop and Daddy Allsop and introduces Macal and Mac H. Daddy Allsop books it, and Macal takes offense. Uh, Carson announces Rosamond and Mr. Sampson. What? I thought he'd be on a Mississippi River boat by now. As did we all. <laughs> Lord Grantham is shocked, but Rosamond says that she ran into him and needed an escort. And uh, he says she wouldn't take no for an answer. McGee says they're happy to have him, and Lord Grantham pointedly does not say that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if it's going to annoy you that your wife is happy to see this guy, maybe you should come clean about how we tried and actually succeeded in uh, <laughs> completely ripping you off. Yeah. <laughs> Mary and Gilly walk into some other room, and she asks him if he really kept his uh, plans to come a secret from Charles. And he says he didn't keep it a secret, he just didn't tell him. And then they talk about their own relationship, and Gilly reiterates his refusal to take no for an answer in this season featuring a rape subplot. Anyway. Daddy Alsop tells Samson that he's in for a dry evening. Uh, but Samson says it's quite all right. He had a very nasty brush with the Crawleys in Yorkshire. Uh, Alsop comes over and asks who Mac Allen and Mac H are. Samson expresses his interest in cheating them at cards since they're rich. Nope. Uh, Daddy Alsop tells Madeline to go fuck Mac H. Uh, <laughs> not in those words, but makes it very clear yeah. what she's good for. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was really overt. No, this is this is where the uh, the the scam artists gather at the party. <laughs> corner, it's known in Britain. <laughs> it's always on the southwest. What would a party be without a scammer's corner? <laughs> Never would have been without one before the war. Accent offers some random lady one of his the uh, one of the hors d'oeuvres that he has a tray of, uh, and she looks at him with the contempt he deserves. Uh, as does Carson, who says, "Have you lost your mind?" And uh, informs them that he's not a traveling salesman, and to keep his opinion. Or one of those annoying samples people at Whole Foods. <laughs> That's right. No, uh, I was even offended. Yeah, I know. Even at an American party. Yeah. Nobody like look. The food is there as a service to the guests. Yeah. No, I mean I've worked it's catering. Not like- yeah. I've stood Nobody holding a tray of shit. Like that's Nobody has to eat your human furniture. Right. You will eventually be replaced. Yeah, you're not on commission, buddy. <laughs> Tuppence for every devil eggy move. <laughs> Downstairs, Anna asks Mrs. Hughes how it's going, and she says that McGee seems pleased. She's just hoping there's enough food for the buffet. <laughs> I do love how they say buffet. I do. Anna says it's a wonder they're not they're all not the size of a tub. I guess she means the people upstairs? Yeah. Like, you know this is just finger food. There's just a lot of people up there. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Mrs. Hughes tells Anna that there's some clothing drive for Russian refugees, and she says she's been on Bates to update his wardrobe anyway, and I'm sure this is the last we'll ever hear about this. Oh, right. So Alsop initiates Operation Fuck McH by asking him if he knows England well, and he says no, but he's prepared for cold baths, warm drinks, and most of all, the food. So suck it, England. We've got your number. Uh, Miguel apologizes for his boorishness, uh, but fortunately supper is announced, and McGee asks Mac H to take Alsop in, and she heads off with Macel, and uh, Mac H says Alsop doesn't have to go in with him, but she wants to. 
In another room, Rose asks uh, Dudders, shall we? And she doesn't see why not. Samson oozes in and is like, hey, what are you talking about? Is it a party? Because I was totally thinking I was up for something after this. Uh, <laughs> so they fail to not invite him to the party. Right. Across the room, Gilly asks Mary and Edith why Samson is there. Mary explains and says they can't make a scene. Edith sometimes feels they should make more scenes. But Gilly says that wouldn't be very English. But Edith envies all those Latins very sensitively, <laughs> screaming and shouting and hurling themselves into graves. I bet they feel much better after. Mary says, I wonder. I feel like once you've let it out, it must be hard to get it back in. Let's go through. <laughs> Which is pretty much the most British thing that ever British. Yes, I, I enjoyed it. He did. He was like jumping up and down. <laughs> like, it. I, I did. <laughs> like, why am I watching Downton Abbey if not for shit like that? In a dimly lit Downton, uh, the homely liberal asks Branson what the library is for, that being the room they're in. He says that it's their sitting room and the drawing room's more formal. Uh, note, I'm going to keep calling the drawing room the sitting room if I feel like it, because I didn't realize You're that. the only one who ever does that, so <laughs> don't draw me into your inaccuracies. <laughs> Uh, the homely liberal says that it feels like the Victoria and Albert Museum, which, like, isn't that great? Like, have you not read the mixed-up files of Mrs. Basily Frankweiler? I would love to live in the Victoria and Albert Museum. Spoiler alert, the homely liberal is actually illiterate. <laughs> All those books she carries around are just a front. <laughs> There's a reason it's the lowest-ranked school in Britain. Uh, Branson is defensive about Downton and the homely liberal is sneery about it. And Isis is also there, which, come on, don't subject Isis to this. Don't fight in front of Isis. You know what? I think she's there trying to protect Branson. Ah, uh, yeah. She smells a vampire afoot. <laughs> God, first a witch and now a vampire. <laughs> Uh, so as they step out into the front hall, Branson says she's seen all the main rooms, and uh, the homely liberal asks if she can look down from the gallery. Like, wouldn't you just feel like you're looking down from the gallery of the Victorian Albert Museum? Hypocrite. I really don't understand her. Yeah. Like, to the point that it's disturbing. Well, it's like, her character seems like it makes sense, but then you actually, like, think about it, and it doesn't make sense at all. No, because it's like either you're, you know, an aristocratic you know, gangbang interested type person or you're, you know, a socialist. Right. Like, I call your socialism into question, you stupid jerk. Here, here. Anyway, as they walk upstairs, Branson is, is reluctant and, and trying to, you know, talk her out of it, but she ignores his concerns. She looks at the coats of arms that are around the railings and asks if they're all for the Crawleys. And Branson says that, they're mar that they are the marriages, so half of each one is for the countesses. And Homely Liberal says, and the present Lady Grantham? I don't see one with a dollar sign. <laughs> what a Get over yourself. Yeah. What you, I mean, also, uh, all those other coats of arms, also one half of those was the dollar sign. <laughs> right. And, like, let's not put on airs <laughs> about how... <laughs> integrity-filled British aristocratic marriages have been up until this point. Right. <laughs> Thomas then materializes in the hallway like some kind of scheming ghost and says, can I help, sir, to Branson? Branson sputters a bit and Thomas sneers at him. And this scene is definitely cut like a horror movie. Yes. Like, I don't understand why that is. Yeah. Uh... But, oh, God. I mean, 
let's also discuss the fact the homely liberal just looks awful. She does. Like, she looks like Dorothy in Lost Girls, the Alan Moore, Melinda <laughs> Getty, you know, pornographic novel, first right. of all. Not a good look. Not a good look. Secondly, why is Branson always letting women steamroll him? Right. Like it, I did post civil era. Well, I did find it interesting, and it occurs to me too that he, you know, he's the one man on the show that can be like, sort of on the the downside of a, a power relationship in a way, or feel feel sort of pressure in a way that a woman might, um, you know, not like not like to that extent particularly, but just like you know, Lord Grantham could never be in this position because mm-hmm. he's comfortable in his his status. Exactly, that's true. Yeah, but he felt comfortable with Sybil, who was, you know, above him. Right, right. Much like the Tal Bachman song, She's So High. <laughs> that's that's a very good point. Like They've been written about or her. Or Joan of Arc, or Aphrodite. Yeah, or uh, the Countess Sybil of Grantham. <laughs> right. No, but I mean, maybe it's just, you know, maybe he's only comfortable in the underdog position. Yeah. And so when somebody's kind of, and both of these women who we've seen steamroll slash rape him, right. uh, have really been leaning hard on like, oh, you know, you're one of us. Like, right. How dare you act like you're one of them? One of us. One of us. Don't be one of them, Branson. I'm not sure you should be a crawly. Right. But for God's sake. Don't muck around with these idiots because they don't even, you know, they don't even have a solid ethos behind what they're saying. (laughs) That's right. Back in Grantham Kitchen, uh, Accent tells Patmore that everybody loved the Kedgeri. Incidentally, Kedgeri is actually an Indian dish. Yes. It's not a British dish, but it's like rice and eggs and I think some nuts and seeds. Mm. Um, It's, you know, it's it's like a pilaf, basically. But it's made with curry powder. Mm. And... Uh, when he compliments it, Pat Morris says, oh, that would daisy's work. I just love how, like, it seems like in response to accent, Mrs. Pat Moore has, like, doubled down on her Yorkshire. <laughs> She's like, you're not keeping me warm with that American accent, you git. <laughs> accent tells Daisy that Mac H had three helpings. And he didn't think he'd even like British food. And I just, right. I want to shoot this guy with a tranquilizer dart. Not because I think it would knock him out, but because I think it would just dial him down from, like, 13. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Like, again, Pat- people still not interested in your opinions of the food, dude. No. Like, don't you need to be, like, getting him dressed or something? <laughs> right. How do you have all this free time to be hanging out in the kitchen? Yeah. You never saw Bates or even Molesley in the kitchen. Yeah. Well, you know, they're British and they know their place, but. True enough. Anyway, uh. Mrs. Patmore tells Daisy that she can be proud of converting Mac H to liking English food. Daisy is a bit annoyed, as she should be, by this entire conversation. Oh, right. Jazz! Jazz! <laughs> so, uh, at, I don't know, the Embassy Club or some such, Rose walks in with Allsop and Dutters, and they're all giggling. They go up to Daddy Allsop, who is sitting with Mac H and Samson, oddly. Uh, Mac H asks, what's so funny? And Rose tells them that Frida was just showing them a letter and that what's funny is who wrote it. Alsop is shocked and says that Rose must be tiddly, and Rose confesses that she is. Uh, the Dutter says that it's her fault for having mentioned it. Rose asks if anyone's going to dance, and Daddy Alsop pushes Madeline towards Mac H. He tries to decline, but that ain't going to fly. 
Daddy Alsop also gets up to dance with Dutters, uh, and Alsop apologizes for being forced on McH, but he says he's used to this sort of thing. Uh, Samson asks Rose to dance, but she suddenly sees Nell Foster and runs off across the room, uh, which seemed like it made Samson look bad, but then Samson is there left alone with the bags and having been asked to look after them. Like, I don't have to say this to the ladies because we already know, and if you don't already know, listen up, because I'm about to save you having to cancel all your credit cards and get your cell phone. <laughs> If you leave your purse with somebody, make sure they're trustworthy. Yeah. No, Don't I, leave the purse places. Take it with you. Yeah. I mean, I think Rose must have been drunk. Like. Oh, yeah. She must have been. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I think, you know, I know that she's young and flighty, but I don't think she would have left her and other people's bags with Samson if she was, you know, fully up to par. I, uh, I concur. Good point, team. Yeah. <laughs> we then get a great shot, which is Branson eating breakfast alone, being watched by Isis and Thomas. I'd honestly like to watch like a, you know, a 10 episode hour long, you know, series just about this breakfast. <laughs> yeah, because it's the such it's, a breakfast. <laughs> it's just such a wide shot with a giant painting on the wall. No, it's. Honestly, this episode is so funny. Yeah, yeah. It's like somehow Julian Fellows decided to both, like, maintain the tone of the series, but also, like, do a little fan service. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So after a few awkward moments, Branson tells Thomas that he doesn't need to stay. But Thomas says that he likes to keep an eye on things, as Mr. Carson would do. Uh, this is not the reason that Mr. Carson would be doing this, but... <laughs> True enough. Branson then says he's concerned Thomas misunderstood the homely liberal's presence last night. He says she wanted to see the house, and Thomas suggests that she might have seen it to more advantage in the daylight. Which is a pretty good line. Uh, Branson says that he doesn't want Thomas to have the wrong idea, but Thomas says that he was not under, he was not aware that he was under orders as to how he might think. Uh, oh. Yeah. Uh, there's also kind of an odd shot at the end of him, like, clenching his fist. Maybe it's his blighty. Maybe it's his bothering him. <laughs> that could be that. Back at Crawley House, Murty, there again, <laughs> is telling Isabel he was afraid she'd have already left. But she's going to London this morning with the Dowager Countess. Murty says Isabel was kind to write, that's all. Uh, couldn't he have just written to her how right. that was kind? <laughs> uh, but then but he might... Where does live, anyway? Is Murty homeless? <laughs> Why does he keep showing up at Isabel's? He just wanders uh, the widows of Yorkshire. Staying for soup whenever he surfer. can. <laughs> yeah, he heard drunken love. He was like, surfboard, that's the thing. And then the dowager countess was like, what is a surfboard? <laughs> yeah, well, plus there's like hobo sign on her, you know, front porch or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Metal, it means medals a lot will offer soup. <laughs> Isabel tells Murdy she just thought he should know that she was going since he had asked her, and he asks why she's going. And she says it came to her in the middle of a meddlesome uh, <laughs> reverie that these things are not just aristocratic falls or all, but traditions by which the family measure their progress through life. She felt she was being smug and intolerant, which really is more the Crawley's bag, but whatever. No. Uh, she is a Crawley. True. So Murdy asks if... They know what they have in her. 
and she says that she knows what she has in them, and I don't think anyone actually knows <laughs> right. what they have in each other. Because I'm like, no, it is aristocratic Falderall. Like, it may be important to them, but you don't have to care. Right. They're just going to come back and want to tell you all about it anyway. I know. And people talk about the Crawleys in this show like they're Aslan or something. Like, they're all just so, <laughs> like, ooh. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, Isabel asks if Murdy is coming now to the ball, and he says, of course he is. Uh, duh. That's his whole point plan. To bone your metal hole. <laughs> Moving on. I'm not even sure which hole is the metal <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Neither am I. <laughs> you should take it a turn. Yeah. <laughs> With Isabel, they're all metal holes. Um... At Rosamond's, Rosamond asks Edith how she can suddenly be an editor, and uh, apparently Gregson gave her power of attorney, and now the the paper needs some decisions made on his behalf. Rosamond uh, sort of delicately asks if Gregson has a will. Uh, Edith is sure that he does, but she doesn't know what's in it, so she'll she'll try and find that out. Edith feels like that her child now should have some rights in Gregson's will, but Rosamond says that the child is not Gregson's child anymore. He is, she is the child of Mr. and Mrs. Schroeder and lives in Geneva with the rest of her family. Edith says that saying that doesn't change anything. Rosamond says it only won't change anything because Edith won't let it. Uh, Edith says that there was never a formal agreement with the Schroeders, but Rosamond says it wouldn't be fair to them to go back on her word, which is true. Edith says that she's not pulling rank, but the fact is that Rosamond's never been a mother. Like, why even say that you're not pulling rank in that situation? I mean, you are. You're absolutely pulling rank. Yeah. And, I mean, maybe, you know, I see your point. Maybe it's justified to pull rank, but don't... British people. (laughs) Back in Grantham Kitchen, uh, Daisy's excited and tells Patmore that Alfred has been hired at the Ritz as an underchef. He says he's going to be famous. <laughs> this has been a great scene up until now. <laughs> but Accent blunders in and Daisy explains what's going on. He says it seems quite the American dream to him. You know, memo to the British. <laughs> Americans don't run around talking about the American dream all the time. We really don't. Our newspapers might, but we <laughs> yeah. don't. No, we understand why you get that impression, but... Like, we buy guns, we complain about taxes, and we don't talk about the American dream. <laughs> That's the American dream. <laughs> Daisy doesn't know if it's American, but she thinks it's smashing. Yeah. Which is pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Well, it's nice how uh, how happy she is. And, it like, it shows that Mr. Mason was right. Like, she can, she's just super uncomplicatedly happy that Alfred's doing well. Yes. And it doesn't have to be a she's, whole thing. She's not yelling at Ivy, although Ivy's <laughs> not there, so. Yeah. Oh, Daisy Daisy can find a way to yell at Ivy if she wants to. Uh, Murty walks Isabel to the car at Crawley House. Uh, she gets in with the Dowager. It's, it's her car. And the Dowager asks why Murty's there. And Isabel, Isabel says that he came to see her off. The Dowager apologizes for being late. Apparently, McGee insisted that she come without a maid. And she thinks McGee must not have understood the complications. Uh, for example, when she gets to the station, how will she get a guard to take her luggage? What about when they arrive in London? What then? Uh, Isabel's... <laughs> 
Isabel says not to worry that uh, she never travels with a maid so she can help the dowager out. The dowager says, can't you even offer help without sounding like a trumpeter on the peak of the moral high ground? Isabel. And must you always sound like the sister of Marie Antoinette? And the dowager takes a moment and then says, the queen of Naples was a stalwart figure. I take it as a compliment. (laughs) She totally was. Yes. (laughs) Isabel says, you take everything as a compliment. The Dowager says, I advise you to do the same. It saves many an awkward moment. And that, man, I loved that exchange so much. <sighs> really good. Yeah. Like, can we have a show called Golden Bitches just starring these two <laughs> and occasionally during sweeps? <laughs> uh, yeah, the Queen of Naples. So I'm reading Marie Antoinette's biography right now, so you'd think I'd remember. But was that Maria Carolina? Yes, it was. Okay. I looked, I looked that much up last night, yeah. I remembered it out of my own brain hole. Good work. Thank you. Anna tells Mrs. Hughes that she has persuaded Mr. Bates to buy a new overcoat, and so she gives the old one to Mrs. Hughes to donate. Mrs. Hughes thanks her. They uh, talk about the presentation a bit, and uh, I, I do like Mrs. Hughes' attitude is this a scene where she's something like, uh, but you know, they like it, so who are we to judge? Yeah. And I just, I just enjoy how her, you know, plain scotch, uh, <laughs> down to earthness is just like completely baffled by this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, Anna heads out and then Mrs. Hughes finds something in the pocket and heads after Anna. Baxter asks what's up, and then Mrs. Hughes says it doesn't matter, but then gazes at the thing she found for a bit. And my favorite part of this scene, actually, is that after Mrs. Hughes tells her that she doesn't necessarily need Anna, just Baxter just, like, stands there, (laughs) just, like, looking at her. Yeah. And then eventually gets bored. (laughs) I'm like, you're the worst spy. There's clearly nothing going on. Right. Well, Um, I'm going to do the next... Oh, yeah, the yeah. next section because I had to do that stupid thing about Mr. Bates. Okay. And I got really excited about doing this. <laughs> so McGee and Rose are dressed up all fancy and riding in a car as people line up on the streets and applaud. There's fancy soldiers in impractical uniforms riding on a horseback. <laughs> Lord Grantham's wearing his dress uniform. Oh my gosh, there's a statue. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's so cool. So then they walk into the palace and they part ways. McGee says, I feel quite nervous. <laughs> and Lord Grantham says, nonsense. Well, because, I mean, she thought she'd done her last one of these. And yeah. it's not a bizarre as an American. Right. To, to, to do this, especially since you apparently can only be presented to the king if it looks like you just ran headfirst into a bird. <laughs> yeah. With these veils on their heads that are feathered, it's ridiculous. It's very ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, and people are wearing powdered wigs, and it's all very, you know, old world chi-chi. Yeah, yeah. I was struck by the people lighting up and applauding on the street. Like, I was like, like, I believe it. I was just like, wow, that's... That's you got up that morning. You're like, you know, I got nothing better to do today than watch some rich, pe- rich people drive around. No, which... they put it on their calendar weeks ago. Well, yeah. This is, I mean, this is a big deal. Well, I understand. I no, I mean, I'm, this is I'm, like, um, this is like the Vanity Fair Young Hollywood issue. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. Look, you don't understand celebrity culture, and I don't understand sports. But trust. All right. No, that's fine. I, if I had been there at the time, given that there was no cable. I probably would have gone and watched this. Yeah. Okay. No, I'll, I'm, I'm fine with that. Taking a day off from whatever horrible job I had. <laughs> probably being a governess to one of these families. <laughs> yeah. 
No, and I, I enjoyed Mick G and Rose, like, pointing at imaginary things, you know, and... Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was like, fun. Uh, do you really... But, you know, I like how excited Rose is. Rose oh, yeah. Is yeah. Rose has almost gone through, a, like, a Benjamin Button situation here. <laughs> Where when we first met her, she was, like, banging a married dude, and now she's this fresh young virgin. It's yeah. Uh, yeah, so McGee announces herself and Rose to, you know, some functionary that's involved in all this. And uh, Alsop comes up, says she hopes Rose doesn't want to powder her nose because the only option is a chamber pot behind a screen over there, which, yikes. Like, Yeah, really? so, like, you think they would put that in, like, the, the info for the family is, like, P.S., if you want to drop a deuce, <laughs> uh, do it at home. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you stink up the room, you will not be presented. <laughs> Alsop is being presented by her aunt, uh, and apparently the Dowager wanted to present Rose, but they got round it, and the Dowager is coming to supper as a consolation prize. I'm sorry, the Dowager's the perfect person to present you. I It seems fine to I me. I mean, I don't know what the etiquette is, but... Right. Well, and I think that... Uh, if I were being presented, I would want her to be the one presenting me. That's fair. I mean, I think, you know, I think McGee elbowed her out of it, you know. I don't think McGee was going to miss this unexpected opportunity to get one last shot in. So who knows? I don't know, though. I would have thought that maybe it would have brought up bad memories of Sybil. Uh, that's a good point. But you know. Sybil had such a good showing. Yeah, but apparently not. So Yeah. Well, it's been, uh, what, a year? Two years? <laughs> Nobody knows. We don't know how time works on the show. <laughs> It exists in a strange wormhole. Yeah. North Yorkshire. <laughs> the county where time stands still. <laughs> yes, uh, apparently Daddy Alsop will be at this supper as will MacL and Mac H. Uh, and apparently the only way that they manage to get an invitation is because Lord Grantham is Lord Lieutenant of their county. So he was able to pull some strings. Uh, Daddy Alsop is pleased that those rich people will be there, and uh, then Alsop is summoned to be presented. Back downstairs at Grantham House, Mrs. Hughes asks Carson where Anna is and won't say why. Accent comes in and apologizes, but Mrs. Hughes heads out, uh, you know, correctly. Yeah. She's like, oh, I've had enough of this wee bear. <laughs> Uh, Accent wanted to ask Mr. Carson if there's anything going on between Daisy and the young man who works at the Ritz. Carson <laughs> puffs up to about three times his normal size and his eyes just bug out of his head and says that nothing goes on when Carson's around. <laughs> he does tell Accent that there is no romance there and Accent says he wouldn't like to push in where he's not wanted. Uh, Carson is speechless since Accent has been doing nothing else since his introduction <laughs> to the family. Yeah. I, man, Carson's reaction shots in this scene, excellent. So great. <laughs> uh, at the palace, people are kind of milling about, Lord Grantham among them. Rose is announced and walks forward with McGee. She curtsies, Rose curtsies to the king and to the queen, and Eddie fills in George on who she is. Uh, George makes a little small talk about Eddie. Should they have some non-Prince of Wales person, you know, like uh, Tony Hale on Veep doing that? No, I, I would think so. This seems like a breach in etiquette to me. Yeah, yeah. But maybe there's, you know, another functionary who steps in only if Eddie is like, I got nothing. You know, a backup. That's not important. Okay. 
Uh, what is important is shrimpy. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so they make small talk about uh, Eddie's tour of India. George doesn't seem super fond of him. McGee is acknowledged and curtsies, and they head back into the crowd. Back at Grantham House. I was really hoping I was getting away from this subplot, but I'm not. Really. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Hughes is showing Mary what she found in Bates' pocket, which is a ticket stub proving that A, Bates was in London, the day Green was killed, and B, is remarkably stupid. Yeah, come on. Uh, Mary is not really surprised, and Hughes asks if Anna knows anything about it. Mary says that uh, Anna knows nothing. And hey, that's Gwen's line. <laughs> Back off, sister. That's right. Mrs. Hughes asks if Mary will tell Anna, and Mrs. Hughes says that she won't. She's just handing this over to Mary. She says that they can't know what happened, but maybe Bates went to London for an innocent reason. However, Hughes says that if he did kill Green to avenge his wife's honor, Mrs. Hughes is not going to condemn him for it. Which, like, I don't feel like I have enough historical context, really, to decide how I would feel under the circumstances. Right. Yeah. Like, there's one thing to feel like that's a good idea, and then there's, like, another thing which is actually killing someone. Right. It's a... Yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah. I guess, you know, I'm... I'm... Yeah, I'm just not sure how I feel about it, I guess. But it... I mean, again, I mean, the assumption is that... Don't worry. We'll have many opportunities (laughs) to revisit it in this episode. Good point. Back at the palace, uh, the family greet Rose and McGee. They, uh, McGee says they've been presented and photographed. They're done. Do they get a photograph with the, the king, or is that just a random photograph? Maybe they're just going in the virgin's yearbook. <laughs> it could be. That actually makes sense. Uh, Lord Grantham says that they look splendid, and they say that uh, the king was rather talkative. <laughs> McH asks about the queen, and McGee says, well, you know. Says, she says... You know, she sort of sits there being Queen Mary like, <laughs> which for some reason is my favorite thing that she has ever seen. No, I know. <laughs> it's just G to a T, though. It's just like saying something that is almost perceptive, <laughs> but then at the very end just becomes baffling. <laughs> right. And with crazy eyes. Mac H asks if there's any chance of meeting the king and queen, but the dowager says that the king is not an admirer of the new world. Uh, but Lord Grantham points him to Eddie, who perhaps is. Macal is talking to Daddy Allsop about New York City, and he says a great city can be a lonely place, and asks if she knows Newport. He stayed there before the war, apparently. Uh, Macal has what they call a cottage on Bellevue Avenue. Daddy Alsop is impressed. Miguel expresses surprise that he didn't know in such a way that Daddy Alsop should really pick up on the fact that she's got his gold digging number. Yeah. Like, I just, but I do, I love watching Miguel string this guy along. No, it, because, you know, she gets this all the time. And, you know, she and, uh, she and Mac H deal with this scenario in very different ways. It right. makes Mac H very bitter and introspective. And she just, you know, she's like, whatever. She's yeah. like, I've been married. I had my two kids. You know, bring on the fun. Yeah, it's all all gravy at this point. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere, uh, Lord Grantham is talking to the Dowager, says he feels guilty for leaving Isabel behind. She's not at this party. Uh, the Dowager Countess says it's all right because Isabel brought a book with her. 
Lord Grantham asks what sort of book, and the Dowager says that she doesn't know. All she knows is that on the train, it was far more interesting than the Dowager was. Uh, isn't that a better situation for the Dowager? <laughs> right. They don't actually enjoy each other. <laughs> oh, they enjoy each other. Well, but they can't say so. No, I know. And over a whole train ride, the pressure of banter would get a bit tiresome, I would think. Exactly. I yeah. mean, this whole will-they-won't-they they thing, like, <laughs> fine in five-minute increments, but... <laughs> Mac H. tells Alsop that her dad is into his mom and wonders if they should tell him that she only has an income for life. Uh, Alsop laughs extremely uncomfortably. <laughs> also, can we talk about how cute Alsop is here for a minute? Oh, yes, we can. She is super precious. Yeah. And I am shipping Alsop and Mac H so hard. Uh, yeah. So, Baron Fellows, if you are in fact listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. here's what you need to know ship wise. We're shipping Alsop and Mac H, Lord Grantham and Isis, <laughs> and also, um, oh, there's a third thing. Branson and a not supernatural creature. <laughs> right. Branson and happiness. Uh, McGee and her crazy eyes. <laughs> well, Mary and widowry. Anyway. Baron Fellows, we'll let you know. Anyway, so yeah, all of us very uncomfortable by the fact that Mac H has laid so bare, <laughs> uh, scammers, corners, plans. But, uh, Mac H is, oh, that's right. You British never talk about money. And she says they don't like to. But Mac H says, ah, but you don't mind thinking about it. Uh, he's like the P.T. Barnum of this show. <laughs> he just thinks that Daddy Alsop ought to know that when Mac L dies, the capital reverts to him. Uh, Alsop is uh, very upset by this and walks away. Yeah, like yeah. it seemed excessive to me. I, I don't think so at all. She really? has been, uh, you know, she's the vagina on the bait hook of her father's, you know, avarice. And generally speaking, nobody confronts her about it that way. And I don't think she's super comfortable. You know, I don't know what happened to mommy Alsop, mm-hmm. but you know, obviously just daddy Alsop is such a, an awful person. Yeah. He's yeah. just a really unsavory character and she's not unsavory and she doesn't know how then to deal with this situation. I think she just, you know, she, she's she's come up against an error message and has to you know, <laughs> return to uh, the chamber pot. All right. Okay. Dutters finds Rose, who is, like, jealous of her and asks if she's at all the presentation courts. Uh, she says that there are only four, and David, I mean the prince, likes me here. Uh, and just as a note, Eddie's full name was Edward Albert Christian George Andrew Patrick David. Uh, he was named Edward after an uncle, Albert, because Victoria was obsessed with Albert, which is not, I mean, they were married, but like she was, even by that standard, like weirdly obsessed with him. Uh, <laughs> Christian, after his great grandfather, Christian the Ninth of Denmark, and then George Andrew Patrick David for the patron saints of England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales, and he was always known as David among family and close friends. Um, FYI, if you died, I would be weirdly obsessed with you. Yeah, no, that's fine. Would you insist that all of our descendants should have the name Thomas? Involved somewhere? Possibly. All right. That's I don't know. Well, Prove your fine. seed, man. <laughs> do something great. Uh, I'll see what I can do. I like to think that this guy's uh, name was the inspiration for the tune John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. <laughs> Could be. Apparently, Eddie said that Rose was very sweet 
Um, Dutter seems troubled. Rose asks why. And apparently the letter that they discussed last night is missing. Dutter says that she was hoping Rose might have taken it, might have taken it as a prank, but no. Uh, Rose asks if anybody's asked for money, and Dutter says that she wishes that they had. Uh, Miguel then comes in, uh, asks if the king and queen talked much, and Rose says that they were kind. Miguel supposes the conversation isn't the point, which is true. Rose introduces Mrs. Dudley Ward, and Mackell says, of course you are, and uh, has read about Mrs. Dudley Ward in American newspapers. Uh, she says that it's just gossip, but warns her never to give them a real story, which, you know, is very uh, relevant to the discussion. Um, so it's egregiously on the nose. Yeah, <laughs> remarkably so. You know who would not say that? Neither Baron Julian Fellows nor Gareth Neem, the executive producer <laughs> of Downton Abbey. <laughs> yeah. Dutters has hedged her bets by carrying a giant bird as well as wearing one. Uh, yeah, and I, oh, Rose, by the way, was immediately like, oh shit, I know exactly, like, she was immediately, she didn't have to be filled in on what the problem was with this letter or anything. She was like, you know, this is a big deal. Yeah. So uh, Mac H is classily hitting up the buffet <laughs> and then uh, walks up to Eddie and says, how do you do, Harold Levinson? <laughs> Eddie looks as if someone has, like, gutted a fish in front of him and shoved it in his face. <laughs> he says he is not Harold Levinson, whoever that is. Mackell says that he himself is Harold Levinson. And then the courtier in charge of keeping Eddie away from vulgar Americans <laughs> steps up and fulfills that duty. Yeah, that was also very enjoyable. So much humor. A next day at Grantham House, Rose gathers herself and then goes into the study where Lord Grantham is sitting very pointedly reading a newspaper held up like, you know, in front of his face. Uh, but uh, she says that she has rather a funny question. Would his friend Samson be capable of something dishonorable? Lord Grantham lowers the paper and asks why. And then Rose basically starts to explain the story. Down in the kitchen. Hey, it's accents again. <laughs> Boo. Boo. Anyway, Daisy asks him why Mac H is taking uh, Allsop on a picnic, and Mac H thinks that he offended Allsop, which he did. Daisy finds it scandalous because they're not in America, and she's not a chorus girl. <laughs> but uh, Daddy Allsop and Mac L are also coming, so it's all proper. Right. Mrs. Patmore asks who's going to prepare it. An accent suggests that Daisy does and then come with him to serve. And Daisy, her eyes pop out of her head and says that she doesn't serve. Right. Uh, which I enjoy. Accent is very persistent. Pat more than, uh, you know, realizes what's happening and says that Daisy can go if Daddy Allsop is going. And then accent says that he, that Daddy Allsop will go if old mother, uh. Old lady. Oh, no, he calls her Old Mother Levinson, uh, which is, you know, like Old Mother Hubbard, like Old Mother Levinson lived in a cottage in right. Newport. Just the sort of phrase that all the Americans I know use all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I can't get through a day without calling your mom Old Mother Schneider. <laughs> Please anyway, don't. Anyway, Mrs. Patmore correctly chides him for disrespect. Yes. At Grantham House, Lord Grantham hopes that Eddie won't revive the ways of his grandpapa, winking at every beauty in an opera box. Uh, he did a hell of a lot more than wink, but... Uh, Rose... He was talking about his third eye. 
that doesn't even make sense. Uh, I know. It's gross if you think about it long enough. <laughs> then I won't. Uh, Rose says that <laughs> uh, that uh, it must be lonely being royalty, and Lord Grantham says that all the public wants is a happy marriage at the palace. Which is stupid. Like, that's exactly why you'll never have a happy marriage at the palace. <laughs> yeah. Well, once in a while. He asks why Dutters had the letter, and Rose says, well, I imagine it was a love thing. She is so precious. Yeah. Uh, Lord Grantham says it won't be a love thing when it's in the news. Uh, Samson took it to make money, and the only question is whether he plans to blackmail Dutters with it or just sell it to the press. Lord Grantham doesn't want Rose to tell him what the letter said, as he is a monarchist, and so must close his eyes to reality, like all monarchists must. Rose feels guilty, as Samson wouldn't have even known about the letter if she hadn't been joking about it. And Lord Grantham says, in that case, they have to act, uh, get Samson away from his flat, and then someone must go in and... And then Rose says, steal it. But Lord Grantham says that you can't steal something that's already been stolen. Wrong. Yeah. You Every might fence w- in America will tell you. You might want to check that with Murray. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Rose asks how they're going to get in, as they can't pick the lock. Lord Grantham has an idea, and he steps out to ask Jimmy Kent to summon Bates to the room. In front of Downton, Branson is asking Thomas if they're ready, and they are. However, Ivy has a basket to carry full of kitchen things, and it will be a squash for him to sit with her and the basket in the front. So, Branson asks if uh, Branson were Lord Grantham if Thomas would ask to sit in the back with him. Uh, Thomas doubts they'd even be in the same car. Ivy says, hey... We can just tie my basket to the back. Branson quickly says that that sounds best, and Thomas begrudgingly gives in. Yeah. Once again, Thomas's schemes achieve him nothing. Well, and again, even if you did get to sit in the back with him, what are you going to do? Sit back there glaring at each other the whole time? <laughs> right. It's not going to be a pleasant ride for anyone. <laughs> I mean, I doubt it's going to be pleasant regardless. Fortunately, Ivy's too oblivious to be bothered by it. Uh, down in the Grantham kitchen, Daisy is packing up the picnic basket and <laughs> <laughs> Accent compliments her on the food, and Daisy says it wasn't complicated. Uh, apparently, Mac H. doesn't like complicated food, so great. Uh, Patmore asks how he'll manage with four people to serve, and Hughes says that they should take Jimmy Kent along. Accent asks jimmy kent if he minds and he says that he's a footman he's not allowed to mind and carson says thank you what tyler uh i can't believe they haven't fired his ass yet (laughs) he's got a lot of cheek he does have a lot of cheek but i mean i think you know he doesn't like push it he just moans once in a while that's true uh accent says that they're meeting at the albert memorial asks if he'll know it when he sees it and hughes laughs and says he certainly will uh, and she's packed in chairs and everything. Uh, as they leave, Carson says that it's good of Patmore to spare Daisy, and Patmore says that Daisy deserves a bit of luck, which this isn't luck, but I appreciate the effort. Uh, Carson's afraid that Accent's interest in her may not be entirely proper, and Patmore says that all women need someone to show interest, preferably in a manner that's not entirely proper. And it's like Carson doesn't know this. I'm like, right. did he once show improper interest to that Alice chick? Well, no, he didn't. That's why she wound up with the other Charlie. Well, Carson's got a lot to learn about ways of the heart. 
Upstairs, Lord Grantham asks Bates very tactfully if he ever met a forger during his time away. Away. Bates asks what kind of forging needs to be done, and Lord Grantham says they have to gain entry to a flat, so they need a sign note to convince the porter to let them in. Bates asks if they have a sample, and apparently Samson sent a bread and butter letter after their party the other night. And Bates says he can get it done by the end of the afternoon. Uh, Lord Grantham stupidly says, oh, so the man is here in London. And Bates says, uh, you know, basically, Bates, you can kind of see it flicker on his face like, oh, I thought we were talking in code and you knew that it was me. (laughs) But it turns out you were just staggeringly dumb. Uh, Lord Grantham uh, tells Bates, he knows this sounds rather dodgy, but I promise there's nothing underhand. And Bates uh, continues to humor him by saying that Lord Grantham's word is enough for him. This is one of the best capers that we've just embarked upon. It's so ridiculous. It is. What I just like that Downton Abbey's motto, again, should be, we promise you to prove if you do. Like, every every plot line involves somebody saying that. Yeah. At Rosamond's, Rosamond tells Edith not to ruin everything now that it's over and done and nobody knows. Uh, Edith says that Granny knows, but Rosamond says that she won't reveal the bastard child of her own granddaughter, which does not win Edith over. Uh, Edith says that she doesn't feel any longer that she can keep to the plan. Uh, apparently, they have found out that Gregson got into a fight with a, quote, gang of toughs uh, that wear brown shirts and preach the most horrible things. And some witness has come forward to say that Gregson took exception to what they were saying, Rosman says that he should have had the sense to keep out of it and asked if they can question the men involved, but Edith says no, and she starts to cry. Uh, says she can be normal sometimes, but then she thinks that she might never see him again. Uh, but the point is that if Edith inherits, then she feels that she has to give at least half to the baby. Rosman disagrees, but says that if she must do it, she should do it anonymously. It wouldn't be that hard. And she kneels by Edith and assures her that if she keeps silent, there will be other loves, other children. Edith says she doesn't know, and Rosamond says to trust her because she does. Uh, where's Rosamond's other loves and other children? Just out of curiosity. That's a fair point. Um, a couple things here. Several things here. One, how did they find... It's been like, you know, a, almost a year at this point, and now suddenly some... Oh, yeah, I saw a guy get into a fight a year ago. You don't forget something like that. Maybe like, he was in a coma. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I, that seemed odd to me. Uh, but I do. I, I also wanted to say that I've enjoyed uh, Rosamond. You know, she's been. This is about the biggest plot line she's had, and I've enjoyed yeah. her performance and, and everything. Oh, like agreed. That. Just because we don't d- agree with her doesn't mean we don't like it. Right. Right. Uh, also, Rosamond's kicking it out of the park with her clothes in this episode. Yeah. She looks very mod for someone who's being such a bitch. <laughs> yeah, agreed. A lot of people do well fashion-wise in this episode. Yeah, Edith doesn't. She looks like she's like a, like dressed like a carnival. <laughs> like throughout this entire episode, like a dress earlier looked like you just had like little telephone receivers embroidered on it. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh Back at Grantham House, Bates is sitting downstairs forging away, and Mrs. Hughes asks what he's doing. He's very vague. Mrs. Hughes asks if he's enjoyed being in London, and he says that he is, and he hasn't been in London since he buried his mother halfway through the war. Mrs. Hughes heads out and is troubled, but I don't understand why. 
Because if she's fine with him being a murderer, like, be fine with him being a murderer. Because she, like, she, like, very pointedly, like, looks at him suspiciously. Yeah. On her way out, and then he looks back, and he's like, I know you got that ticket out of my pocket. Yeah. It's true. It's just, I just, I hate, ugh. Yeah. I wish well, this just... plotline would make, like, Mr. Green and die. And Bates is so evil anymore, it's like, since I buried my mother, she hadn't died yet. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, upstairs, McGee and Mary have been filled in on uh, Lettergate, and Mary doesn't know why she needs to be involved, but Lord Grantham says that somebody has to get the letter while they distract Samson. Mary says Rose can do it by herself. Lord Grantham tells her to have a heart, which isn't really Mary's thing. Uh, yeah, she's like, I donated my heart to the church bazaar years ago. <laughs> Mama <laughs> insisted. <laughs> what? I said, Mama insisted. <sighs> Lord Grantham can't go himself because he's hosting the card game, and he doesn't know who else to invite to said game. Uh, McGee suggests Gilly, though they'd have to tell him why. Uh, but Rose has this... Why would they have to tell him why? Uh, oh, right, because he wouldn't get in on another card game with Samson. Right, right. Okay. Um, oh, then how does McGee know about... Anyway, this show has suddenly decided to dispense with who knows what about who. Yeah, it really has. Um, well, I guess they must have had to fill in McGee. On the whole backstory. I guess so. That yeah, Actually, that would make sense. In any case, Rose has the solution, which is to invite Daddy Alsop. Mary says that Miguel can sit on his lap, which is a bit much. Uh, <laughs> she's been married. She knows everything, and she's going to make jokes about it. <laughs> I found out what penises do, and I'm delighted. Um, <laughs> 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 Lord Grantham doesn't want Mackell involved, as she will make some quip and give the game away. Uh, McGee doesn't know what they can do with her. Lord Grantham says to ask Rosamond to ask Mackell to a play, along with the Dowager and Isabel, and give them supper afterwards. McGee says she hates to lie. Mary says that she'll do it, as she doesn't mind lying. <laughs> Which, good for you, Mary. Yes. Lord Grantham says that they should give the men dinner. Mary wonders if Samson will be suspicious, since he must know that Lord Grantham doesn't like him. But Lord Grantham says that it will tell him, he'll tell Daddy Alsop that Mac H will play, and then Samson will be lured in by Mac H's American riches. Mary asks if Mac H might prefer going to the theater instead, but Rose says that if Alsop is there, then Mac H will come. McGee says that she can't allow Mary and Rose to go burgle a flat on their own. So Lord Grantham suggests that they ask Napier, which is a good idea since he's a ghost and can walk through walls and everything. (laughs) Um, Good one. Yes. Unfortunately, he is in France. Uh, It's better haunting anyway. (laughs) That's true. Uh, More gothic castles. McGee suggests Blake. And then Rose says that she will need to go along since she knows what the letter looks like. Mary asks what happens if a servant calls the police, and Lord Grantham has suddenly had enough, and he asks if she wants the heir to the throne to be lampooned across the world, even after he's safely crowned and married to a foreign princess. Mary says she doesn't want that, but she also feels that it's his own fault, which is, you know, again, great point. Lord Grantham says that even so, they introduced Samson to Dutters, and Rose as good as gave him the letter, and storms out. I can't explain why, but I really enjoy seeing Lord Grantham angry like this. Like, Yeah, I know what you it's mean. It's just such a bizarre thing to take a stand on. Uh-huh. Yeah. And this is where he's chosen 
to go with it. That's right. He's laying down the gauntlet here. No, and uh, also he should know that the the prince is definitely going to be lampooned across the world, regardless uh, <laughs> of this letter. Right. Like, uh, wait, and this is this is uh, this is the guy who abdicated, right? Yes, this is the yeah. future Mr. Wallace Simpson. Who uh, who was friends with those uh, young toughs in brown shirts who preached the most awful things? Yes, indeed. He didn't find the things that awful. He was he definitely. They were pretty keen. Yes, he was definitely uh, an anti semite. Look, when you Google Edward the Eighth, the first suggestion is Edward Eighth Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's uh, it's rather astonishing that he holds the Crawleys in such high esteem. Then, <laughs> uh, being from blended stock as they are. Yeah, that's true. Which, again, we've never really had confirmed. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, Levinson's a pretty Jewish name. Yeah, I mean, I would think that that's... I mean, they're obviously very assimilated. Well, yeah. But still, I mean... You know, Hitler wouldn't like them. I think we can agree on that much. Oh, yeah. Hitler would definitely be anti the crawl. (laughs) (laughs) As we will see in a future season. That's such a ridiculous thing to say. Anything? Uh, way to manage to to pull the Nazis into this story, Julian Fellows. <laughs> like we didn't think it was possible, but you you managed it. They said I couldn't do it. I've shown everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so we see the Albert Memorial and uh, anachronism alert because I looked into this. It shows uh, the big old gilded statue of albert but as far as i can tell it was in fact not gilded but blackened from sometime before world war one until it was renovated in the 1990s so that should be a blackened statue not a gilded one suck it downton abbey well they may have brought hitler into it but i guess they don't have you know photoshop or whatever (laughs) right i don't know what you use to do cgi (laughs) it's probably photoshop i'm sure that it's it's not MacH lounges with Alsop uh, a bit away from the uh, septuagenarians they're dining with, <laughs> expressing his surprise at how tasty English food is. The dowager countess says the menu was unoriginal. But MacH says he wants his food good, not original. And Isabel tactfully says he's in the right place. <laughs> MacL asks Daddy Alsop what kind of lord he is, and MacH asks if there are different kinds, which. <laughs> Clearly, they have not been listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. The Dowager Countess says the British peerage is a fountain of variety, uh, with not a small dig at Daddy Allsop and his pretentious <laughs> ways. So he says, uh, it's just a lonely barony, but it's quite old. Mackell asks Madeline if she's Lady Madeline. Daddy says no, but she's honorable. And Mac H says, who would doubt it? With a little bit too much of the accent coming out. Like, yeah, accent yeah. the character. His personal accent is fine. Oh, right. Daddy also asks Mikkel when she leaves. And she tells him. And he envies her leisurely trip through Europe. And then the dowager says that he means with no expense spared. Daddy says he meant it would be charming to see it with Mikkel. And then goes for another whiskey. Aside, Daisy asks Jimmy Kent how it's going. He says it's fine from her end, but Mikkel dislikes Daddy Alsop. Alsop says she's heard that McH has a reputation, and he brings up that he has a reputation as a playboy. Yeah. It's uh, a definite humble like brag. She, 
Yeah, I don't know what sh- what reputation she was talking about, but he I, is. I just heard that you were horrifically corrupt, but Playboy <laughs> is new to me. You were in the teapot dome scandal. <laughs> How quaint. Anyway, he says he owns a yacht and he likes pretty girls. He says the best thing is that those girls don't expect anything besides a good time and a diamond bracelet as a thank you note. Which, ew. Mm, and also, know. that seems like a lot to pay. Like, how long is this good time lasting? <laughs> right. Like, are you taking them on, like, a yacht tour of the Pacific? Or is this, like, a one-night situation? I, I, I can't answer that. Ew. That just makes me feel so icky. Yeah. Like, I didn't really think about it before. And, I mean, you know, people still do it. Right. But, I mean, it's just prostitution and without the self-awareness. <laughs> yeah. And well, it just it just makes me really sad. Like, who would just have sex for a diamond bracelet? Well, I think they don't just have sex for a diamond bracelet. I think they have sex to have sex on a fancy yacht, in a fancy bedroom, and all that stuff. Like, in luxury. And then get a diamond bracelet and move on with your life. But, I, you know, I, I'm not saying it's not gross. I don't know. It just doesn't seem worth it to me. Well. But the- I guess that's why I don't have sex on many yachts. Right. <laughs> or own any diamond bracelets. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, get on that, Tom. <laughs> I'll see what I can do as a thank you note. <laughs> he says that he hates to disappoint people, uh, which is a very telling character detail. Yes. And one that Paul Giamatti sells very well. Yes. Also asks if that's why he never married, and he thinks that that's a leading question. He thought that uh, she would be reticent and refined. She says that she was. Uh, you guessed it. Before the war. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Mac H says he wouldn't respect any woman who married him. And Allsop says plenty of women would marry him. And he says, you mean because I'm rich? Allsop says he invited her as an apology and yet seems bent on offending her. He says that he hopes not because he likes her very much. He just has seasonal affective disorder. <laughs> she asks if he won't go along uh, with Papa's scheme for her to marry him. And he says No. And she wouldn't want him to because she's better than her father. And uh, I am getting a little bit choked up just saying this because the scene is so – I mean, Giamatti yeah. is just like heads and tails. He's he's nipping at Maggie Smith's heels with this performance. He's really good. I Again, I really did not want to like him. Like he's I was a op- five out of five Giamatti's on this. He is. Like, I, I was opposed to his presence, but man – he manages to make the character crass and unlikable without making you not sympathetic to him. Yeah. And without making you not root for him and Allsop to somehow work it out, those crazy kids. Yeah. Despite the fact that he's far too old. Yeah. You know, from my perspective, you know, he's not attractive. Or right. Or got anything going on. Yeah. yeah. But no, it works. And I mean, you know, credit to, to uh, I forget her name, Poppy something that plays Allsop. Mm-hmm. As well, because she also makes the relationship work. But yeah, but she Paul does. Giamatti I mean, is great. She's clearly, she's not as good of an actor as he is, but she's good at responding to what he does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At any rate, Alsop asks if uh, Mac H will warn Mac L off Daddy Alsop, but he says she can look after herself. <laughs> I just, I just love to think of them constantly traveling and fending off these various, you know, schemes of the penniless landed aristocracy. Yeah, it just tickles me. Like, I imagine they both got marriage proposals on the ship across the ocean, you know? I imagine they both got marriage proposals the day they buried, uh, you know, (laughs) 
Mr. Mackell. Yeah, yeah. Just at, literally at the funeral over the <laughs> dudes are just lining up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, down in Grantham Kitchen, Mary and Rose are there. Mary is asking Patmore if she can manage the sort of sudden expansion of their dinner plans. And Patmore says it's fine. It would have been 10 anyway, and 14 doesn't make that much difference. Uh, Rose also just randomly picks something off the table and eats it, which amused me. Yeah. Uh, Patmore says that Hughes can sort out the sleeping arrangement. Rose says that they're packed in like sardines. And Patmore laughs and says that if they're like sardines, then the staff are like maggots. And there is an awkward pause. This is why cooks are not renowned for their conversation. Uh, Rose asked where Bates was, or where Bates is, and Patmore says she saw him in the servants' hall, and they head out, and Patmore regrets her choice of words. Well, you know, I, I get what she was trying to say. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it was just very funny. Uh, in the servants' hall, Rose asks Bates if there's been any news on the note. He says, he has it right here, conveniently. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rose is impressed with the quick turnaround, and Bates says, uh, he had nothing else on, as Bates has not had anything else on this entire season. (laughs) Mary assures him that it's all very proper, whatever you might think. And Bates says Lord Grantham already told him that in virtually the same words. (laughs) Uh, Bates wishes them luck, and Rose heads up. Mary lingers, and... (sighs) This may be, even in an episode filled with accent, <laughs> this may be my least favorite exchange. All right. Mary says she uh, she thinks that London seems to draw one into peculiar situations. Bates, who has played this game before, says that it's like any big city. Mary says she suspects people must regret things they got up to in London. Uh, and it's pretty much like if you've seen the episode of Daria where Daria's been dating Tom for a while and they're having an anniversary <laughs> and Quinn, uh, Daria's sister, uh, comes in and is trying to uh, – she greets Tom at the door and she's saying, oh, uh, you know, something, something, I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just so – oh, it's awful. It's pretty bad. And anyway, Bates and Mary have a stare down and then Mrs. Hughes comes in from the hall to verbally bitch slap Mary. <laughs> and then Mary says she was just checking on Mrs. Patmore, and then Hugh says not to worry about Mrs. Patmore as she is very resilient. Unlike Mary, who is very bad at scheming. Right. Uh, so they walk into Hughes's parlor, Hughes and Mary, and Mary says that she's just not sure she can stay quiet about the ticket. Uh, she's not sure that she has the right, that this is a man's life that they're talking about here. Hughes says then that that means that Bates must be ruined or hanged because a vile, evil monster is no longer with us. Uh, but Mary says that it's wrong. No matter what they say, it's wrong. But then hears footsteps and, and has to leave. Yeah, it's wrong, but it's also time for dinner. You're right. Upstairs, the family is gathered oh in my, my favorite scene, possibly in Downton Abbey history. Very possibly. The Dowager does not approve of a card game. What are the ladies supposed to do? Stick feathers in our hair and light the gentlemen's cigars? <laughs> I think that's a great notion. <laughs> Big G says that Rosamond wants to take her to the theater, and she, the Dowager said she's too tired for an evening of secondhand emotion, which, hear, hear. <laughs> As somebody who does this podcast. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Isabel agrees, saying that she'd rather play cards, and then Lord Grantham says that poker's not her game. Ah, uh, come on. This is Fast Izzy Crawley, the sharpest player in the North Riding. Well, Lord Grantham doesn't know that as she goes incognito <laughs> to her games. True. Underground poker games. Also, the way that Isabel says she'd rather play cards is exactly the way that your uncool aunt likes <laughs> to friend you on Facebook. <laughs> Lord Grantham hopes that Branson doesn't mind uh, taking part in this scheme. Branson doesn't. Uh, you know, he, he's finally here. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. He's finally out of the clutches of the homely liberals. You can do anything <laughs> you want. <laughs> McGee says that if the Dowager doesn't want to play, that they'll sit and talk. The Dowager Countess asks if it strikes McGee <laughs> as odd. McGee very unconvincingly says, not really. Well, not very. <laughs> They're just genetically predisposed <laughs> to not be good at this. <laughs> this is why the British Empire crumbled. <laughs> uh, the Dowager Countess asks why Mary's men are coming, and Mary says, not to call them my men, or Mary's men. Lord Grantham says they're coming for cars, except for Blake, who doesn't play, that is, who won't play tonight. <laughs> Isabel says they could play a different game. Rose says that Blake is taking her and Mary out to see a show. Mary rolls her eyes and says, not a very long show. <laughs> Edith wishes they would all just say what's going on. <laughs> Lord Grantham starts talking to Isis, and then Branson chimes in and says that he was no substitute for Lord Grantham in Isis's eyes. Carson shows in Mackell, who says, well, the gang's all here, I see. And the Dowager says, is that American for hello? <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Mackell introduces Mackage to Branson, who says it's strange to never have met when Sybil could introduce them. Uh, and Mackage says he's glad to know him now, even though he's clearly not. Uh, <laughs> Mac I like how much Mackage does not give a shit about his nieces. Right. Or his sister, really. Or it's, anyone. Yeah. He, he had a, shit is not his bag. He had planned to live his entire life without ever seeing them. Yes. And uh, so the Dowager says that all of his phrases are very curious. And then he asks for tea with milk. Uh, scandalizing wolves. <laughs> right. The Dowager Countess says the combination of open air picnics and after dinner poker makes her feel as though she's fallen through a looking glass into le déjeuner sur le... How do you pronounce this? Sur l'herbe? I don't know. Some French crap, but it's a notorious Manet painting showing a nude woman dining with two fully clothed men. You know, like happens all the time. Oh, right. Uh, Lord Grantham tells her that it's lucky she doesn't exaggerate. Mackell is confused and thought they were going to the theater. Lord Grantham says no, just Mackell. She asks why. McGee says that Rosamond was complaining that she doesn't see enough of Mackell. Enough for what, says the Dowager <laughs> Countess. There's an awkward pause and Mackell says that if she's going to the theater, she ought to change. And the Dowager Countess says, yes, I should. And Mackell glares at her. Yeah. Best scene in the entire show. It was so good. And just it's like British upper class incompetence at its finest. <laughs> and everybody, like there was like you know eight people in that scene, and they all had a moment. It was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, down in the kitchen, Ivy asks if they've heard any more from Alfred, and Daisy asks why they would. Ivy says that he can't be bothered cooking for film stars and millionaires and crowned heads of Europe. Uh, oh, Ivy, just not even say it like that. You need to calm down. <laughs> Um, Ivy cooks for millionaires every day. She is cooking for millionaires as she says this. Anyway. Well, she's also blisteringly stupid. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, anyway, Patmore threatens to crown Ivy if she doesn't get back to work. And uh, Ivy says that Alfred has escaped. Patmore says, from what? And she says, ordinary life. Daisy and Patmore share a look. Yeah. And again, I just love, you know, Daisy's grown up. Yeah. Yeah. Daisy used to have dreams and now she's just settled into like, oh, I just had this job. Yeah. No, because Patmore says... all of us. Yeah, because again, when Patmore says from what, she's not kidding. She doesn't know what Ivy could be talking Mm -hmm. about. And she even goes to the pictures. Yeah. Later that night, a bunch of men walk along, talking all manly-like. Thomas holds Lord Grantham back and drops a line about the family's honor and tattles on Branson for his exploits with the homely liberal. Mm -hmm. Lord Grantham asks who this woman was. Thomas tells him that she's a school teacher in the village. And says that, of course, Mr. Branson is still a young man. He can't be expected to stay single for the rest of his life. But Lord Grantham is not pleased by that line of reasoning from Barrow, which is a bit overstepping. Yeah. Uh, and then heads off. Yeah. He did overstep the mark. I, I don't know. I don't think that Lord Grantham even cares that much. Right. Well, because, like, you know, A, Tom's a dude. And B, like... Lord Grantham would probably just assume that Thomas hadn't said anything at all. He's like, you know, if you don't say anything, I don't have to do anything about it. <laughs> yeah. Can't you just let me go back to my favorite thing, not doing things? <laughs> He's been trying ever since the Titanic sink- sank, and he can never get around to it. In the servants' hall, Carson asks if they have anything he can take up some ice in. Padmore asks why, and Carson says that Mac H seems to want it in everything he drinks. Uh, he then forgets about the ice for a minute, says he's glad that everybody's there, and he announces that they'll be having a day out and suggests the Science Museum and the Crystal Palace. Nobody is excited. Uh, he then suggests the Royal Institution, which I think he just made up, assuming that there's probably something in London called the Royal Institution. Uh, nothing. Natural History Museum. Still crickets. He says, uh, Westminster Abbey is always a good day out. Okay, I will I will say that sounds dull as fuck to me. <laughs> yeah. As does the Crystal Palace to me, honestly. Like, once you've seen it, you're like, well, it's all made of glass. Can we go now? <laughs> See, that's how I feel when you admire a view. Uh, that's fair. Anyway, Carson, baffled, goes off to get the ice. Uh, Anna asks Hughes if she gave the coat away. Hughes says she did, and apparently Bates is cross because he never got a chance to go through the pockets. Which, I mean, I would be cross in the same situation, even if it wasn't my murder coat involved. Like, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, either I would be fine if, you know, Anna should have gone through the pockets herself, basically. Because, come on. Absolutely. Yeah. But then she would have seen the ticket and, you know, be brought out of her ignorance about her murder, murder, murder committing husband. That's right. (sighs) Sorry. I hate this plot line so much. Yes. Well, yeah, because then Anna asked if there was anything in there, and Hugh says, nothing that matters now, which Anna rightly calls a funny answer. Yeah, Mrs. Hughes is usually a lot better at the schemes. Right, agreed. So Hughes realizes that she screwed up and then just suddenly asks if she can help Baxter, unprompted by anything, and, and leaves. Thomas asks Baxter if she has any news as Molesley eyes them from across the room, and she says there's something. Molesley abruptly stands up and asks her if she's free and says that there's a book he's been meaning to show her. This is Molesley's go-to move with the ladies, as you'll recall. Baxter thanks him and heads out with him. Elsewhere in the room, Accent has a question for Daisy, which she must promise not to answer straight away, and apparently Mac H wants her to come to America as his cook. 
She can decide during the next couple of months while they're touring Europe, and if she agrees, uh, he'll send her the fare, and that'll be that. We also see that Ivy is overhearing this whole thing. Daisy asks if he's serious, and apparently Mac H will be teased at the clubs for hiring an English cook, but he doesn't care as he loves her food. And Daisy says that that's not what she were expecting. Upstairs, it's that dog's playing poker painting, except with people. <laughs> Gilly says he's out of practice, and uh, Samson says it's sad Mr. Gregson won't join them. Uh, and apparently everybody's heard that he's, you know, gone. Yeah. Uh, Samson is relieved that he's not there. Uh, though I imagine his relief will be short-lived once bombs start dropping on London. <laughs> Mac H asks if Mr. Gregson give him a difficult time, and Samson says he's not sure Gregson was playing strictly according to Hoyle. Yeah. Mac H says he hopes they can trust everyone at the table, and uh, Daddy Alsop is sad that Mac L isn't there so he can continue attempting to get his dick, at her age, probably just damp. <laughs> you know? uh, right. A trickle. I'm sorry. That again, gross. Yeah, unexpectedly very gross. gross. He's trying to get his dick covered in money. I mean, that's what he's really <laughs> looking for here. <laughs> uh, anyway, Mac H comments that he's sure he is disappointed that Mac L isn't there. Very pointedly, mm-hmm. Lord Grantham says to Branson that he's heard that Branson was entertaining in their absence. Uh, Branson then knows immediately what right. is going on. You know, certainly. He had to have suspected that Thomas was going to be a dick about this. <laughs> he says that he only brought her to the house after dinner. Like, it wasn't anything like what Lord Grantham's thinking. Uh, and then Gilly, thankfully, diverts their attention and says they should all concentrate on the game and not be thinking too hard about why these people that Samson previously ripped <laughs> off are suddenly so eager to play cards with him. Yeah. And uh, that's the entire payoff of the homely liberal situation. Like, that's it. That's the full set of consequences. Uh, you know, so far. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, God knows it's going to be like eight months later next time we pick this show up, but... Yeah, but you know, she'll like have made like a stancil or something, um, what's in Future King style, and she'll come back, <laughs> roaring back into the picture, throwing books every which way, that's trying a- to get a look at the servants' quarters. <laughs> that's What a bitch. It's very probably true. <laughs> the musical score that we then hear is the pizzicato tiptoeing of a mischievous group of landed nobles. Uh, <laughs> it is Rose, Mary, and Blake who are following Samson's porter. Uh, Rose says that it is kind of him to let them in. The porter says that he is sorry that Mr. Samson has taken ill, so I guess that's their story. And Mary says, yes, it's not too serious, but they need to gather some things. And the porter's like, okay, just let me know when you're done. Uh, so they head on into Samson's apartment. Mary is not at all impressed by Samson's place. Which is, like, a million times nicer than our apartment. It sure is. Like, I'm not sure that I'm super into, like, the molding on all the walls, but it's very Morris. Yeah. Also, there's a whole bunch of, like, very thick curtains covering all the windows. Like, if you let some light into the place, it might not look so bad. Yeah. Anyway, Blake says that uh, card sharpening must not pay that well after all. And Rose... He's got his own poker. Table. Shut up. <laughs> and uh I don't know what he spends his money on. <laughs> Rose also thinks they should shut up and start looking for this letter. Uh she has heard that men always hide things in their sock drawers as a deterrent as what could be more revolting than to rummage through a strange man's socks. Rummaging through a strange man's underwear. Here, here. 
Also, presumably his socks are freshly laundered. Right. The the sock drawer is not where the dirty socks go. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah, you're thinking of his hamper, Rose. Right. Which would be disgusting. I'd be with you on that front. Oh, totally. I've rummaged through our hamper. (laughs) It's a nightmare. (laughs) Down in the Grantham House Servants Hall, Thomas tells Baxter she's very thoughtful and that Mosley can't protect her like he can. He doesn't know what Thomas knows. Baxter points out that Thomas, unlike Mosley, does not know how to be kind. Oh, snap. It's kind of a weak comeback. It is a little bit, but Baxter's kind of a weak person. Yeah, and, you know, what's what's your deal, Baxter? Yeah. Really, you know, inquiring minds on both sides of the Atlantic <laughs> want to know. Yeah. And points beyond. <laughs> Back at the poker table, Samson wins a hand, and Mary comes in and shakes her head at LG, indicating that they have failed. He is bummed about it. When Mary comes in, they all stand up, of course, uh, as Daddy Alsop is complaining that he hasn't won a hand all night, uh, possibly because he's very dumb. <laughs> you know? I don't think that Daddy Alsop has won many hands in his life, <laughs> Agreed. Uh, Lord Grantham suggests that they've had enough. Samson says, surely not, but Gilly agrees. What if they played one hand? Uh, I I think probably like four or five. (laughs) And Samson won all of them. Yeah. Anyway, they all go through, and Gilly hangs back a bit with Mary and says he gathers that they failed. Uh, It's true, and so the press is going to go to town. Uh, Mary says that Eddie's lack of judgment would have tripped him up eventually. Correct. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Gilly says that that's gloomy for a monarchist. But Mary says that she's a realist monarchist, which is a strange thing to be. Uh, Gilly points out that Blake is waiting for her, and he heads off. Uh, Blake uh, just is taking his leave, and Mary thanks him for helping out. And Blake hopes that when it all goes to hell, Eddie at least finds out how hard they tried. Uh, However, he says that he's not sad because Mary was in trouble and called on him, which is a positive step that he would like to see repeated immediately. Uh, Mary wasn't in that much trouble. <laughs> she really wasn't. She Mary had nothing to do with this. Right. She went along just because of peer pressure, but she had, you know, no, no. interest. Uh, anyway, Mary laughs and asks if she should be in trouble so soon, but Blake says he's serious. He really wants her to get in trouble. Mary doesn't know why, since her lot is going down and his lot is coming up. But Blake says he doesn't see it that way. He thinks that he believes in the future, and so could Mary, and he will see her at the ball. Downstairs, Carson comes in and passes along to Bates a cryptic message from Rose explaining what happened. Uh, Anna asks what it means. Carson tells Jimmy Kent that he'll need a hand with the coats. Bates also volunteers to help with the coats since he's got nothing on. Uh, especially not telling his wife the truth about anything anymore, apparently. Right. Talking to his wife, very low on his priority list at this point. Uh, Carson, though, is very appreciative because apparently it's extremely difficult to get five men their coats. <laughs> apparently so. In the servants' hall, Hughes encounters Carson and says that uh, starting tomorrow, it's full speed ahead for the ball. And asks if he's had any more ideas for the servants' outing, and he suggests Madame Tussauds. Uh, and he says that there are interesting historical figures there and not just the sensational ones. Hughes, unimpressed. Oh, come on. You'd think she'd love seeing Brad and Angelina. <laughs> no, and again, I think Madame Tussauds is a pretty decent suggestion. Yeah, that's not bad. That's meeting him halfway at least. Yeah. 
I just feel like he's really getting the short end of the stick for Mrs. Hughes. And generally, I'm a fan of that. Well, right. But in this case, I think he's having some decent some decent thoughts. I, I agree. Lord Grantham asks Edith if she's all right, and he says he never knows what's going on in that head of hers. Also, to be fair, he's never cared what's going on in that <laughs> The only head he cares about is Isis's head. <laughs> That's right. Edith asks if he knows she'd never do anything to hurt him. Uh, Lord Grantham thinks that's an extraordinary thing to say, as do we. Yeah. And Edith repeats it and then says goodnight. And like, shut up, Edith. Yeah. Like, stop. You can't have this both ways. Right. Exactly. Like, Either shut up and don't have your baby or continue talking and have the baby. <laughs> like. Yeah. You have two options here. Yeah. Cryptic messages to the dumbest man in Yorkshire are not going to get you anywhere. They're certainly not. Yeah. The Dowager asks McGee if this means that they've been kept in the dark for nothing, and McGee is afraid so. Uh, Samson comes up and asks what they've been kept in the dark about, and the Dowager just says, some romantic scheme. Uh, Samson suspects it concerns Daddy Alsop, who was there to see a lady from across the seas, if you know what he means. Uh, and the Dowager Countess says, with any luck, she'll go back across the seas. And McGee gives her a solid McGee look. <laughs> uh, Samson thanks McGee for her generosity, says that he won't forget it, and heads out. Mac H tells Allsop that it was nice to nice of her to come and hope she'll be at the ball. And she says, why wouldn't she? She's actually, you know, in the age-appropriate cohort to be attending this ball. <laughs> right. And is friends with Rose. Right. And was just herself presented like... She's not going for you, Mac H. (laughs) You've been pretty explicit that she shouldn't. Right. Again, though. Shipping them so hard. Oh, yeah. Working Uh, on my fan fiction right now. (laughs) In the front hall, coats are being put on, and Bates asks Carson which one is Samson's. Uh, And as Carson points it out to him, he wrests it from Carson's hands goes and puts it on Samson, arranges it, and says, there we are, sir, with his standard evil Bates look. Once which, again, cut like a horror film. Right. And Samson... What's going on? Samson reacts appropriately, like, oh my god, what just happened? Is my coat haunted now? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> the Dowager Countess says she feels as if she spent the whole evening in the cast of a whodunit, so she should have just gone to the theater. <laughs> Lord G says nobody's done it, which is what passes for humor in the uh, Crawley household. <laughs> and he says goodnight to the Dowager Countess. Uh, Bates calls Lord Grantham over and hands him the letter. It occurred to him that Samson might take the letter with him wherever he went, uh, much like a certain ticket to Piccadilly. Uh, <laughs> so he swiped it from Samson's inside breast pocket. Uh which, you know, I have to say, we saw him with the coat the entire time, so that was some really impressive sleight of hand. Right, because I watched it closely the, the second and third time through, and there's just no... I mean, you know, I mean, I've seen pr- actual magicians do, like, freakier shit, so I guess there's some way he could have done it. Yeah, but... this is some high-level Ricky J shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's for real, so I guess he took that intro to magic course <laughs> when he was at murder prison. <laughs> Uh, Bates heads off to do whatever it is that he's doing, presumably not talking to his wife and having a functional relationship. Right. Glaring. Just general glaring. (laughs) You mean brooding. Ah, yes. Brooders brood. (sighs) Lord Grantham goes back into the drawing room and presents the letter to Rose and Mary, who are shocked. (laughs) He says, 
says, Samson dropped it and Bates picked it up. Aren't we fortunate, Mary says, and uh, fortunate is one word for it, Yeah, not the word I would choose. <laughs> yeah. Also, nobody ever told Bates that it was a document they were looking for, as far as I'm aware. Let, you know, so... They, they told him off screen. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Great. Uh, look, it may be lie the whole point of this podcast, but look at Downton Abbey for too long and the whole thing just unraveled. <laughs> True enough. We, we unravel it every week. Uh, Samson arrives back at the Samson residence, uh, takes off his hat, notices that things are out of place from where he left them, uh, and then suddenly grasps at all his pockets. You'd think they would have tried to leave things as they found them. Yeah. I mean, although I guess he couldn't really say anything because he had done wrong. Right. I think, I, I assume that's what they were counting on. Up in Mary's room, Anna says it was a happy ending, so presumably Mary has filled Anna in, uh, something her husband didn't see fit to do. <laughs> yeah. Mary says it was for Eddie. It was a happy ending for Eddie. Right. It Plus. Price- huh? Plus, we got some free socks. <laughs> Uh, it was a crisis averted for the monarchy, although she wonders if they won't see another because <laughs> old-timey people didn't know stuff. <laughs> Except for Mary, who's apparently the Cassandra. <laughs> <laughs> Anna says the next one won't be their fault, like, unless Rose gets drunk again. <laughs> keep hanging out with dudders. I'd like you to meet this woman, Wallace. <laughs> Uh, Mary says that there's so much in Dates' debt, and she'll tell him in the morning, but asks Anna to tell him as well, uh, assuming that they're speaking. <laughs> she says he'll be grateful, and he's very loyal to the family, although strangely disloyal to me, Anna, is <laughs> Mary says that the family is loyal to him and to both of them. Anna heads out, and Mary walks over to the fire, and she pulls the train ticket out from a book she was holding and tosses it into flames because one forged letter greater than sign a person's life. Right. But you know what I will say? Go ahead. Put the blue filters back into storage. We're not going to murder prison. You know what? I'm fine with Bates just being evil in general. Right. You know, it would be a step up from Thomas's aimless, you know, whatever the hell it is he's doing. Right. But it's just like, why? Like, do we really have to go there again? Are we supposed to think that he did kill his wife? Like, what is what is the purpose of this? Uh, there uh, there are no purposes. I mean, that's well, the thing. Uh, no, they think that they do have purposes because I read that interview on Vulture with Gareth Neem. Hmm. And he said, you know, Bates and Anna have faced all these obstacles in their marriage, and they've all been around Bates, but now they thought they would do one that centered around Anna, and I'm like, oh, you mean Anna who was shunted off center stage of her own story as soon as humanly possible? Yeah. Although I did read in the same article that, like, Julian Fellows basically believes that some people have good luck and some people have bad luck. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of why Edith is perennially... In the shitter. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting philosophy. It is. And, and I, one that I don't entirely disagree with, but I'm not entirely sure that it's great for storytelling. Right. That's the, yeah, I agree with you there. Anyway. Oh, shit. It's a servant's getting things ready montage. <gasps> Look out. In among all that, we see some musicians tuning up. Uh, Carson is arranging things very precisely, etc. You mean they didn't hire Jack Ross? <laughs> Shockingly, oh. no. no. 
Uh, downstairs in the London branch of the Carson Cave, uh, Hughes pins a postcard on Carson's bulletin board. It is a picture of the beach, and she pauses and then readjusts it to make sure that it is at Carson's eye level. Why can she not just say we should go to the seaside? That is actually an excellent question, because it's not like I feel Carson would not be able to hear that, you know? Like, he could... He could take that suggestion. Yeah, and he could very easily do the mental calisthenics required to convince himself that it was his idea. Right, exactly. Give the man some credit, Mrs. Hughes. Yeah. But uh, they want to do it the hijinks way, so that's that's what they're doing. <laughs> out front, somebody is helped out of a car, and inside, it's Rose and Alsop being walked into the ball that is in full swing. Uh... Rose's dress is the ugliest effing thing that I have ever seen. Yeah, it is awful like just and it's partly because of the drop waist but it's also just it looks like you know like those restoration dresses with like the hips yeah i was gonna say it's got got, like saddlebags and i'm like this is your ball yeah how are you gonna be worse dressed at your own ball like get out that side boob dress that was great Mm mm-hmm yeah i don't know really if this ball is lacking anything it's a little bit more side boob here here I blame Madge. <laughs> McH is uh, fired up when he sees Alsop and starts easing his way towards her. He's awfully interested in someone that he's just said that he wouldn't respect anyone who married him. Although, you know what? I was having a conversation with somebody recently mm-hmm. about how, you know, guys will pull this thing with women where they're like, oh, like, I'm emotionally fucked up and I don't want to, like, inflict that on you. So I think this is the, you know, uh, post-war version of that. Yeah, yeah, that seems about right. He's so emo. He's pretty emo for a corrupt oil executive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm like, where did you get all this self-awareness? Like, either either bribe senators or listen to, like, the Postal Service. Like, you can't do both. Or if you're going to do both, one of them has to be ironic. (laughs) Right. (laughs) May it please the committee. That bribe was intended ironically. (laughs) (laughs) Case dismissed. (laughs) God bless America. (laughs) Uh, McGee comes up to Lord Grantham and says that they should start the dancing and that uh, it would be best if Lord Grantham uh, went out with Rose first. And Lord Grantham tells Rosamond that family duty comes in many forms. What are you throwing this ball for, dick? Yeah. Uh, but fortunately for Lord Grantham and his hatred of dancing, there is uh, some sort of disturbance going on, and it's Eddie. Guests <laughs> gasp, according to the subtitles. <laughs> what would we do without the subtitles? <laughs> I know, right? Everybody bows and curtsies appropriately, and uh, Eddie tells McGee that he knows they weren't invited, well... He wasn't. Uh, Dutters is there as well, who was invited. Uh, but he hopes they don't mind, and McGee says he honors the house with his presence. What's the point of the Order of the Garter if you can't just show up at parties in the aristocracy? <laughs> here, here. Dutters says that she doesn't know if the dancing has started, but suggests that perhaps Eddie could dance with Rose to start things off. And Eddie asks McGee if that's all right, and McGee gives the signal to Carson, who gives the signal to the musicians who admirably, like, don't roll their eyes at him thinking that he knows how to, like, kick off a, you know, concert. I did think that was odd. I'm like, is this a thing that butlers did? <laughs> right. Uh, and, I mean, the answer may well be yes. <laughs> um, 
So they began playing what, uh, again, according to the subtitles, was the Skater's Waltz, or as I learned by its original name, the Schlitschulaufer Waltzer by Emil Waltteufel. Is that like the Schlieffen plan? <laughs> I think it's pretty similar. I also like that Emil Waltteufel, because I'm pretty sure Waltteufel translates to Forest Devil. <laughs> so like Schlieffen plan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> Forest Devil. <laughs> That's right. Fucking Germany, man. What a place. Yeah. No wonder Gregson didn't make it back. He <laughs> ran into a vault teufel. <laughs> uh, so everybody watches Rose and Eddie step out and begin the waltz. And, and I mean, I do, there's at least like five separate reaction shots of various crawlies and hangers on watching this happen. Uh, and Lord Grantham tells McGee that if Rose isn't the darling of London society after the, uh, sending off like this, it won't be Eddie's fault. And he begins dancing with her. Uh, yeah, it won't be Eddie's fault. It'll probably be Rose's fault for banging that Mary dude two years <laughs> ago or whatever. Presumably, yeah. But, uh, but Lord Grantham and McGee are like super happy and thrilled and understand. You know what so. I keep thinking during this? I'm like, how depressing was Edith's fault? <laughs> oh my god. Let's... Like, who did they have start the dancing off with her mostly? <laughs> Did fake Patrick make it appear? <laughs> Let's not think about that, lest we all get a little too emo yeah, darling, here. You got this burn victim. To start <laughs> things off. You're going to have a wonderful time. Uh, Mary and Gilly dance, and uh, the Dowager is standing off to the side with Brance and asks if he's glad he came, and saying that these are his people now. He must remember that these are his family. And Branson says that they're his family, but they're not quite his people. The Dowager says that sounds like a challenge, and Branson says, all right, here's a challenge. Would you like to dance? Dowager asks if he's sure. He nods, and she accepts, saying that she knows she can trust him to steer. (laughs) Yes. Driving jokes. Oh, servants. Driving the Dowager Countess. (laughs) Uh, Blake asks Dutters how she managed this, and she says that she told Eddie that he would never owe more to anyone than he does to Rose, not even Hitler. Uh, <laughs> he asks if she told him why, and she didn't, but he trusts her, and he's a faithful little chap. Blake says that he, Blake, is faithful as well, annoyingly, and I just hope that the rest of Downton Abbey is mainly centered around Dutters. Yeah, can we just change the name to Dutters Abbey? <laughs> yeah. She just seems like she's got her shit together. Yeah, and is leading an interesting life with, you know, the rich and powerful. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Losing letters, getting them back. Yeah, like, what's Mr. Dudley Ward's deal? Because he's still I, around. Yeah. I just imagine he's, you know, well, you know, he's in the country. It's a Lady May situation. Right, exactly. Daddy Allsop sits with Mackel, uh, and he's saying, what do you mean, no? <laughs> Again, in this uh, season, we made a about rape. Right. She says it's not a very complicated word, and this is why I love Mechel. <laughs> no, she just she's like, you know what? Everybody should just be on my level, okay? Yeah. Like, just fucking get here or fuck off. Yeah. Uh, he asks if she wants to be Lady Aesgarth and rank alongside her daughter. Uh, she wouldn't be ranking alongside her daughter. She'd be ranking below her daughter, which she's already doing. Yeah. Think about it. Uh, anyway, she says she's modern and doesn't hanker for... 
those days before the war. How can you not hanker for those days before the war? Because she's fucking with it, man. She's a hemp <laughs> lady. And she doesn't want to spend the rest of her life among people who think her loud and opinionated in common, which I'm pretty sure that that ship has sailed. <laughs> uh, Daddy Alsop says they wouldn't, and she says that they would and they'd be right because she thinks they are narrow and pompous and boring. He asks why she encouraged him, and she says because she thought it would be fun, and she was right. <laughs> yeah, nice. Suck it, Daddy Allsworth. That's right. Allsworth, Allsop. I'm very confused, because he's Aesgarth and then Allsop. Yeah. Stupid Britain is practically a Russian novel. Right? But she does ask him to visit her in Newport, and she says that she will rustle up some rich widows that want titles to make it up to him. And he looks interested. Yeah. Matt Gell. Class act all the way. That's right. I mean, it does seem like it's a, a more or less happy ending for Daddy Alsop, really. Mm-hmm. McH is dancing with Madeline Alsop and saying that this isn't his scene, but London... Now all I can think of is, is him hanging out with those goth kids on South Park in the You Got Served <laughs> episode. He's dancing and taking a drag off his cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> And then he says to Alsop, I've got something in my front pocket for you. Because <laughs> he totally does. <laughs> well, he does, but he's not those emo kids anymore, as London has remade him in a different image. Alsop suggests... I think he just really likes the cooking. Like, I think he's going to get home and he's still going to feel dead inside. Well, I, <laughs> any life doesn't seem worth living if you examine it too closely. Oh, uh, devil boom! That's right. Uh, Alsop suggests that maybe this is who he really is, and he says, "Ah, oh, Miss Alsop," and she says, "Madeline." <gasps> That's right. Shipping. <laughs> and she asks him not to think too harshly of them. She says that her father is frightened because he doesn't know how to live without money. McH thanks her for her honesty and is sorry that he can't help, uh, but she says that he has helped. She's not going to play Daddy Alsop's game again, and now she's going to help him. He says she's, he's flattered and she drags him over to a chair and says that he only sees himself as fit for good time girls. MacH says, so you don't agree? And she says that she knows that any woman would be lucky to marry MacH. He's kind, clever, and much too modest. And she speaks without guile because she knows he has escaped her net. Balls! Yeah. MacH? Net, net, MacH! <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Max. You're never gonna do any better! <laughs> well, I mean, I honestly, very few people on earth are ever gonna do any better. Like, take your chance, She's man. She's gorgeous. She is. She's just stunningly beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, McH thanks her, uh, very sincerely, and she asks when it is that he leaves. He says they catch the boat train on Friday, which is sadly just a train that arrives at a boat, not a train that turns into a boat transformer style, which would be much more fun. I'm sorry that you were so disappointed by your Google search. Well, I didn't think that's what it was, but I just liked the image. Yeah. Anyway, he says that she'll be pleased to hear that he's going to hire an English cook. His valet has recruited one. Alsop, actually not that excited. (laughs) Like, why would you... Like, that's literally their worst feature. (laughs) Right. It's like saying... Like, if if the people at the club, you know, if he picked up an English mistress, then that would be something. It's like be saying, you'll be glad to hear that I've recruited an American gun law. Like, no. (laughs) 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 Uh, McH asks if Madeline will write to him, and she says she'd be delighted, Harold. Do it. Get a room. Get married. Have all the babies. Agreed. 
I'm very invested here. <laughs> I know, baby. Gilly and Mary are dancing. He suggests that they stop before he has to hand her over to somebody else. Boink! <laughs> she says, let's hide. And they go to the next room and Blake watches them go. I do like that Mary conducts all of her fairs with the enthusiasm of, like, a 17-year-old girl. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Although I guess, you know, she has had a really depressing year. Secondly, where's the kids? They're fine. Where are they gone? <laughs> they're, look, their nanny isn't racist anymore. They never have to raise the kids again. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, downstairs, Mosley and Baxter uh, happen to run into each other. Baxter asks if he is enjoying himself. Uh, he says it's exciting to see Eddie close up. And she says that they're all planning to watch him from the basement steps when he leaves. Uh, and she starts to head off, but Mosley kind of grabs her arm, says that he doesn't know what Mr. Barrow has over her and he doesn't want to, but that he mustn't make her do things that aren't right and not to let him bully her. She says that that's easy to say, and he says that he knows that, but being part of Thomas's schemes won't be easy either, and that sometimes it's better to take a risk rather than go down the wrong path. Uh, she considered faking a lung disease to get out of this, because that worked for Molesley. <laughs> Patmore comes up with a tray and asks Molesley if he's taking it up or should she carry it up to the ballroom herself. Uh, so Molesley heads up and Baxter heads off in her own thing. I love it when Patmore gets petulant. <laughs> yeah. Mary and Gilly sit in a room alone. Gilly hears things turned all right with the purloined letter. <laughs> <laughs> Mary says that that's why Eddie came to the ball, and Gilly wonders if there's any news on whether things will turn out well for him. Mary says she wishes she knew. Spoiler alert, she does not wish that, <laughs> not at least. She says she feels so cruel dangling you and Charles and even Evelyn. <laughs> LOL. Right? <laughs> He's not in this, Johnny Bird. I know. He's not even in the Christmas special. <laughs> So she feels bad for dangling them on the end of a string, which she doesn't feel bad at all. No, not at all. She is so enjoying this. Ah, but what she said is that she feels cruel, which is not the same thing as saying she's not enjoying it. That's true. That's a good point. No. Gilly says that she hasn't refused Charles, and Mary says that she tried, but he wouldn't have it. Again, rape culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rape culture. <laughs> that funky culture. <laughs> You're welcome, America. <laughs> And points beyond. Sure. Gilly asks if she's sure it's not him. Mary says that her destiny is to save Downton for George. Who? Uh, her son. <laughs> uh, by spending every penny holding it together. She says Blake is an outsider who resents the people she comes from. So how can they pull as a team? Because Mary loves equestrian imagery when talking about intimate relationships. She sure does. Well, she looks great on a horse, so it's easy to understand why. Yeah, fair enough. Gilly says that he should sing and dance, that she's dismissing Blake, but uh, Mary has the wrong end of the stick. Blake is the heir to his father's cousin, Sir Severus Blake. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, the defense against the dark arts teacher at Oxford. <laughs> right. Uh, he will inherit the baronetcy and one of the largest estates in Ulster. Mary is stunned, and she says that she thinks that she should have heard about this. Uh, he would have been in a stud book, Yes. You would think so. Although I will say that baronetcy is below even Aesgarth's lowly barony, so it's not like yeah. it's not like top of the line. Yeah. 
At any rate, Gilly says that Blake has always played it down, uh, being just a distant relation, uh, which is a good point. And maybe in, in that sense, he wasn't even eligible for the stud book or right. I don't. Yeah, chose not to be part of it. Like having an unlisted phone number. He had an unlisted <laughs> dick. Uh, yeah, because I mean, you know, Mary had never even heard of Matthew when he became the heir, and they were actually related by blood. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. God only knows how these things work. Gilly says that Blake is not an outsider and is going to be even more eligible than Gilly, although he will be less piratey. <laughs> that's true. Although they kind of look identical, so... Yeah, that's true. She could marry uh, both of them, and it can be elaborate ruse. Nobody would ever notice. <laughs> uh, you know, there have been a lot of hijinks so far. Yeah? Mary asks why nobody thought to tell her about the fact that Blake was, you know, significantly more desirable. Right. And uh, Gilly asks if it makes a difference. And Mary says, of course it does. <laughs> and I do like it that Mary's just so unabashedly blue blood. Yeah. She's like, uh, yeah, I like him. Because that's where this is going, right? Like, she right. clearly likes him better than she likes Gilly. By all indications, yes. And I mean, I think she likes that Gilly likes her more than she likes him. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, that's a fun situation to be in. Right. And it was certainly but, her know, situation she, with Matthew, generally speaking. Well, but her situation with Blake is a lot more combative right. than her situation with Gilly. And, I, you know, she likes that. That was why she killed Mr. Pamuk with her vagina. Right. Gilly says that the tide is running against him. But Mary points out that a year ago she thought she'd be alone forever and would warn Matthew until the end of her days. Uh, I think this is a little bit of Mary suing on Baron Fellows' part. (laughs) But now she knows that that isn't true. And even if she doesn't know what her new life will be, isn't that something for us to celebrate? Well, like, yeah, for her. Right. That's something for her. Gilly Gilly pretends to go along with it because he doesn't want to piss her off. Yeah. Well, you can't be a dick, but. Yeah. Like, Blake could still bolt. You don't know. (laughs) Right. Back in the main room, people be dancing. Uh, Isabel's standing with the Dowager, but she is upset to see Murdy heading her way. And the Didn't she specifically tell him she was going? Like, what did she think was going to happen? I don't know. Uh, Murdy wasn't going to continue stalking her in London? But the good news is that the Dowager is delighted, saying, <laughs> No doubt to lead you down the primrose path of dalliance. And just cracking herself up. Uh, Murdy comes up, asks Isabel to dance. Yeah. She says that she's not much of a dancer, and Murdy says, oh, nor I, so we're a perfect match. And Isabel can't say no at that point. Blake sees Mary and Gilly come in, and Rose invites Gilly to dance. Like, Gilly, why don't you just marry Rose? She seems like she's all about you. Yeah. Uh, or maybe she feels that he's, you know, safe. It could be it's that, It's hard yeah. to say. Yeah. Anyway, Blake excuses himself and heads over to Mary, and then they start dancing. Uh, Edith asks Branson if he's enjoyed the ball. He says he enjoyed it fine. Uh, but that he says the two of them need to stand up to them, meaning everybody else on the show, basically, saying that we may love them, but if we don't fight our corner, then they'll roll us out flat. Edith says that he's right, thanks him, and heads off and finds McGee, who's standing with Rosamond, and tells her that she's going home in the morning. McGee asks why, and Edith says various reasons, and then that she might take a short trip to the continent. McGee asks if the trip has anything to do with Gregson, and she says yes. And Rosamond, who knows full well what Edith is planning, asks if somebody else could go for her. And Edith says, I'm afraid not, Aunt Rosamond. I'm absolutely afraid not, and heads off as McGee looks rather quizzically at Rosamond. Honestly, I think Edith 
Lucas might have done better to collude with McG on this. Yeah. Being that McG isn't a heartless harpy. Yeah. And I mean, I understand the instinct, you know, that when it's, you know, your mother versus somebody that isn't your mother, but I think you're right. I think she would have, you McG know. McG could have arranged for the baby to be raised on her home planet. <laughs> Babies like liquid nitrogen, right? Oh, yeah, they love that stuff. <laughs> The Dowager Countess is walking down a hallway and encounters Macal, who says, off to bed, are we? And says it's sensible in a woman her age. Uh, fun fact, Shirley MacLaine is actually eight months older than Maggie Smith. Yeah. Uh, the Dowager Countess says Macal needs a rest cure if she was taken in by that booby A-scarf. <laughs> Macal says she doesn't mean to be offensive, but is Violet always this stuck up? Which... That was the least stuck-up thing the Dowager has ever said. Yeah, Ace Garth like, is... That was her trying to do a solid. Yeah, objectively a booby. Like, that's... <laughs> it's not a social standing thing. He just sucks. Yeah. Anyway, the Dowager Countess asks if the new Lady Ace Garth uh, has set to hold London enthralled with tales of how the West was won, and Mackell says that she turned him down. The Dowager Countess is surprised, which, again, I'm not sure why, because yeah. they both knew that he was an idiot, Yeah. but... Mackell says she has no wish to be a great lady, and the Dowager says that's a decision that must be reinforced whenever she looks in the glass <laughs> and starts to head off. But Mackell says she doesn't mind looking in the glass because she sees a woman who's not afraid of the future. She says her world is coming near and the Dowager's world is slipping further and further away and leaves. And the Dowager looks after her very sad. Yeah. So congratulations, Mackell. You've made an old woman sad. Uh, great work. You know, I don't know. Look, I like this scene, except for the fact that it's an awkward transition about Aesgarth or Daddy All Stop. Right. But I mean, you know, I like it when these two come together because it's like, it seems like they should be evenly matched, but they're just, when they have conversations, neither one of them is really hearing the other one. Yeah. No, I mean, that's certainly true. And I just felt like it was just that last line, which, and there was a definite beat before that last one as the dowager was heading off and miguel was like deciding what she wanted her last word to be and then it just felt like and but i mean you know what i say that but i think i'm just responding to maggie smith's you know the way she plays that last yeah, shot so acting. <laughs> right downstairs hughes comes into the carson cave london edition and says that breakfast is done, but there are still quite a few in the ballroom, and we can see through the window that the morning light has started to dawn. Uh, Carson says that Hughes can go to bed, as can the others, and he will keep uh, James and then give him the rest of the morning off once everybody finally leaves. Hughes asks, what about Carson? And he says that it won't be the first time he's gone without sleep. Hughes says that they ought to get the outing settled, as they've only got a couple days at this point, and Carson says that he feels guilty about it, that nobody was enthusiastic about his ideas, so he wonders if they should just settle for a day by the sea. He knows it's a defeat, but what does Hughes think? Uh, he says that they can take the Pullman from Victoria, and a day return ticket is 12 shillings each. Uh, and the Pullman company in Britain was like a different setup, and it didn't have quite the same association with a sleeping car, as I learned it. Um, and then he says, that's a lot, but McGee is happy to pay. And Hughes says, thank heaven you got there in the end, and smiles on her way out. I do feel like this is going to be, when we do finally procreate, this is going to be partly our negotiation process for vacations. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're always going to want to do some educational bullshit. <laughs> I'm going to be like, we just want to go to the amusement park. 
Uh, that's disturbingly plausible. They have a wave pool. <laughs> they have wave tanks at science museums. You can see how <laughs> waves work. Oh my god, I hate you. <laughs> getting a divorce. Can't get a divorce over We're Skype. We're not getting a divorce. Oh yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> We've got too much invested in this podcast. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Uh, out front, Mary walks out with Blake and says that they've danced all night. So, uh, sorry, Gilly. <laughs> uh, Blake asks Mary to congratulate McGee for him, and she says she will. And then she asks why Blake never told her about Severus. <laughs> uh, he says he was forbidden by the Dark Lord. <laughs> but uh, he didn't want her to assume that he shared her prejudices. And then later on, he wanted to win her by himself alone, which, like, uh, well, guess what? Yeah. You just want her with this fact of your birth. So maybe yeah. you want to rethink your strategy. And if that hadn't come out, you would never have won her. Like, it was yeah, key. Yeah. yeah. He asks who told her and supposes that anyone could have. Uh, and then she says it was Gilly. He is surprised by this, but Mary says that Gilly wants it to be a fair fight. And Blake says, assuming that he two in the ring, because uh, LOL Evelyn. That's right. <laughs> and uh, he says... Let battle commence, and she says, let battle commence. <laughs> Completing her transition entirely into Quinn from Daria, <laughs> as she says, you guys, stop fighting over me. <sighs> Spoiler alert, they will not stop fighting over her. One presumes. I mean, we haven't actually Julie seen them. very clear that even if she marries somebody else, he is never going to stop. Yeah. He's that's... going to be like the Batman of her affections. <laughs> Classy. <laughs> in the library at Downton, a hall boy comes in, and he is does not have footman's livery. He is just wearing his nice going out suit. I, I did write down a note that says, "Who in the hell is that tea tray guy?" <laughs> yeah, no, I was very upset. We've seen him before running around downstairs. I actually recognized him. Oh well. Well, I'm better than you. That's all I'm saying. Gilly, <gasps> <laughs> how did you say such a thing? Anyway, I just like that because, you know, all the good servants are in London. So he brings in a tray for Edith and heads out. And uh, who is in the library but Drew? Uh, the Tamworth Drews? <laughs> that's right. And he's apparently been pretty much filled in, asks how long Edith will be in Switzerland. And Edith thinks that three or four days should be plenty of time to rest a child from the arms of its adoptive parents. Drew says that that's not much time to get ready. Uh, Edith says that she'll pay him for the first month this afternoon, but since he already has three children, she assumes he must have most of the paraphernalia ready. She mean like a head shop? <laughs> like he's got the bong and stuff, like he's ready to go? Yeah, I mean, you need to be pretty chilled out to deal with the kids. Yeah, I just hope you got enough screens, because the pull-through is murder for kids. <laughs> Uh, Drew agrees that they're not going to need much. Edith asks if uh, he's sure that his wife is willing to go along with it, and he says that Margie dotes on children. And well, a lot of husbands not communicating adequately with their wives on this show. Oh, very true. He's not even finished. She might just be faking it, man. <laughs> just to get through the day. Uh, he says he's not sure that they've had their last child. I mean, obviously you haven't. You're getting a new one in a week. So Also, ew. Right. I don't want to know about your sex life, Drew. Stick to pigs. <laughs> Right. Uh, but he says that Margie will love the child like her own. Mm, look, I watched Second Noah. I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> I, 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 you, you did. It's astonishing. Uh, Edith, they had a giraffe. 
And I'm pretty sure they love that giraffe more than they love James Marsden. That's almost certainly the case. Who wouldn't, really? <laughs> Aida says that they'll need a decent story, something along the lines that the baby's parents are dead and the mother was a friend of Drew's. And then she says, oh, well, of course that's true, except it's my friend and not yours. A Drew asks why she doesn't want the baby to be in the nurseries at Downton, and Edith says that her parents disapproved of her friendship with the baby's mother and would feel uncomfortable to have the baby there. Uh, Drew's is like, okay, and Edith emphasizes that it must be a secret and wants him to understand she'll pay whatever he wants, but it must be an absolute secret. Drew says that in that case, it should be their secret alone. He will send a letter to himself and tell Margie that the letter is about an old friend that died and has asked him to take the child in her will. And he says that Margie won't question it because she's learned that that's the way to a black eye is to question Drew's decisions. <laughs> he doesn't say that. Um, Edith asks if he will do that for her, and he says yes for her and the little girl. And Edith says that it's comforting that there really are a few good people left in the world. And I think it's pretty clear that Drew knows what's going on. Oh, yeah, it's definitely very clear. But the other like, thing is, I'm not entirely sure that lying to your spouse and then after, you know, however many months it's been that, you know, little, you know, Edith Jr. has been to <laughs> the Schroeders constitutes being good people. Excellent colluders, perhaps. Right. Children are running happily along a beach. A boy rides a horse. And uh, there's Mrs. Patmore just having bought some ice cream. Various male servants are playing soccer, or as they call it in England, football. <laughs> uh, they're playing it in the sand. Thomas sits down by Baxter, and he says she's hiding something from him. She denies it, and he says not to make him act harshly. And then she says that he must do as he thinks best, just as she must. So he walks away, and then Mosley sits down next to her, out of breath from playing soccer. Baxter I'm sure. Him. I'm sure he's just as good at soccer as he is at cricket. <laughs> he wonders why Baxter's thanking him and she says that there are things in her past that made her afraid but she isn't anymore and she doesn't know what will happen but it will be better than being afraid she says his strength has made her strong he says along with the rest of the viewing audience <laughs> my what? <laughs> she laughs and uh, we'll be damned if Baron fellows didn't just pull out a Mosley plotline that we actually enjoyed yeah, and I'm... had a satisfying resolution for all yeah I am I I would have bet sizable odds that I was going to hate Molesley for the rest of the run of the series, and that was, they worked out. I wouldn't say that well, I liked him, per se. But, we yeah. We haven't come that far. That, no, that's fair. But that we would be willing to recap Molesley plot lines without sighing heavily before each scene. <laughs> Daisy, uh, is sitting with accent, asks when he's leaving. He says, 10 o'clock tomorrow. Uh, he says, Spain and Italy will be hot, so when you see me again... But Daisy stops him right there. She says she's not going to be coming to America. Um, oh, and by the way, that is a nice dress. Like, servant nice, but she's wearing a nice dress. I liked it a lot. And he says, well, don't make your decision to... And she stops him again. She says she's not coming, but thanks, and please thank McH for the offer. Accent asks if she knows why he asked her, uh, and this is in a wide shot, so we see Patmore and Ivy are also there, and she says that she thinks she knows why. He says he didn't want to say because he thought he might frighten her off, but he thinks that they could make a go of it. And Daisy tells Mr. Slade that she suspects they want different things, but it means that much to me to hear you say it. Thank you. 
Uh, also, she realized she doesn't want to be Daisy Slade. That's a terrible name. It is almost as bad as Ethan Slade. <laughs> yeah. It's like a porn name. It is, actually. Yeah, Ethan Slade. Well, uh, you know, I, I imagine the porn industry is getting uh, getting underway in America. <laughs> <laughs> a cocksucker is born every minute. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Ivy chimes in and asks Accent if she could try to cook for McH. Uh, she says that she knows all the dishes that Daisy makes. And Accent says, yes, but it were to work with Daisy in New York. And, hey, it were to Accent. I call shenanigans. That is not an American phrasing at all. It certainly is not. Ivy says that if McH likes her style of cooking, Daisy's that is, then, you know, she'll like Ivy's. And she asks for a trial, so she'll save up and pay her own way if she has to. And Daisy adds her support, tells Accent to let Ivy come, that McH won't know the difference. Accent says, okay, uh, he'll cable when he's back in New York and Ivy won't have to pay for the trip. He warns her that McH can be very picky, but Ivy says, don't worry, this is my chance, I won't let you down. So Accent's a little bit bummed. Uh, And then Daisy gives him, like, a head nod, and he and Ivy get up and walk off. So, like, does Ivy have to marry him now? Like, what are they... Uh, Anyway. They're going to hash that out on their stroll by the beach. I guess so. So that leaves Patmore with Daisy, and Patmore tells Daisy that that was kind of her. And Daisy says, why shouldn't Ivy go to America if that's what she wants to do? Patmore asks if she was upset by Accent's advances. And Daisy says, upset? That if Patmore knew what it felt like to have a young man keen to court her, she says she'd kiss him if he wouldn't get the wrong idea. And she says, I'm that chuffed. It'll take me through to next summer. And this made me, I've just been wanting something good to happen to Daisy. And this scene, like she was just so, knew what she wanted and she was forceful. And she said specifically, if you knew what it was like to have a young man interested in, like for a change, she was the one being pursued instead of doing the pursuing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and, you know, and it was a young non-William man, you right. know, like so many people might want, I don't know who would want, you know, the the British version of Jackson McBrayer, but. <laughs> but, you know, he look, he didn't seem dumb per se, like, you know, annoying as heck, sure. Too. Yeah. Anna and Bates are strolling and Anna tells him that the Russian refugees were super glad for his coat. In Soviet Russia, coat gets you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> You're not. Uh, Bates wishes that he just could have gone through the pockets. Anna asks if she can do anything to make up for it. Bates says, hmm, let me think. You know, I haven't had bum sex since I got out of murder prison. <laughs> uh, actually, he says, you could always buy me a penny lick, which might actually be <laughs> Yeah. Like- What's a penny lick? Is it like a candy stick? It's something that you get from an ice cream cart. I can't even imagine. That sounds also like a euphemism. (laughs) Uh, Anna laughs, and then she heads over to the ice cream cart to get him his penny lick. Yeah. Carson wades into the water. He is uh, essentially fully dressed. He has bare feet and no jacket, but otherwise it's the full Carson regalia. This is proper, you know, beach etiquette from before the war. (laughs) Clearly. And Hughes is also in a few inches deeper. She's holding her skirt up, and she kind of dares Carson to come out to where she is. He says, if I get my trousers wet, and Hughes says, if you get them wet, we'll dry them. Well, suppose I fall over. Suppose a bomb goes off. Suppose we're hit by a falling star. You can hold my hand, then we'll both go in together. And Carson says that he thinks he will hold her hand. It'll make him feel a bit steadier. 
And she says, you can always hold my hand if you need to feel steady. He says, I don't know how, but you managed to make that sound a little risque. And if I did? (laughs) So Hughes holds out her hand and Carson takes it. And she says, we're getting on, Mr. Carson, you and I. We can afford to live a little. And she leads him out into the sea. We see Patmore and Daisy looking out at them. And the last shot is of Carson and Hughes wading out into the water. Which is a lovely way to end this episode. It really is. And it is not a shipping thing. No. No. We, no, because, I mean, Mrs. Hughes has zero interest in Carson. I, I cert- And they're both career servants. They've yeah. kissed those days goodbye. Yeah. Here, here. Uh, but, you know, there's no reason they can't hold each other's hand on a day's outing at the beach. That's all. Yeah. And also, there's no reason Carson can't decide to have fun every now and again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a great last scene. And, by golly, a, a pretty great season. Really. I think this is, it's not as good as the first season, right. but I might put it ahead of the second season. Yeah. Like, and, you know, because, I mean, at the end of last season, I don't think either of us was willing to 100% commit to doing season five. You know, like, we oh, were in for yeah. one more season, but if it had followed on no, the... No, I mean, I think we had explicit conversations <laughs> where we were like, fuck, two more years of this? Yeah. Yeah. But they've managed to, to you know, right the ship, man. Yeah, they really have. So uh, it was good stuff. Yeah. Well, I think um, just to to fill in everybody a little bit on our plans going forward, uh, I think what we're going to do is we're going to be off next week. uh, And then the week after that, we'll come back and we'll do some kind of season sort of wrap up review. Like, I I don't think it'll be as detailed as as last year we did, but we'll do we'll do something. We haven't figured out what yet. Yeah, it'll be, you know, it'll be, you know, a surprise outing. Right. <laughs> so that'll be the 16th and then the 23rd will be off again and then on the 30th Mr. Selfridge premieres in the in America and we will be premiering right along with it. And, and probably we will be uh screwed up on that schedule as well. So Right. But it's <laughs> you know, it's worked for us so far. We're, yeah, you know. We're just going to deal all, with it. We're just doing the best we can. Yeah. Yeah. Like Mr. Selfridge himself. <laughs> That's right. A.K.A. Horace Spendrich. <laughs> However, before we get into all that, it is now time for the final Abbey Awards. That's right. Of series four. Best evasion goes to. That goes to Daisy for evading uh, accent. Yeah. Which, good job, Daisy. By the way, even if accent was pretty cool. And I, I know it was different times, but that seems awful to me to be like, well, I'm moving to America where the only person I know will be my new husband. Like, that yeah. ugh, feels uncomfortable. Well, I thought he was going to get her to come and then start dating her. Well, right. But still, I mean, that's still, like, uh, awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> the only person I know will be my coworker who also wants to date me. Like, yeah. Uh, but she evaded it. So well done, Daisy. So that brings us to the worst decision. Uh, that goes to Branson for continuing to cavort with the homely liberal. Branson, yeah. get your head out of ISIS's ass. <laughs> get your shit together. Was well, so ISIS is trying to warn him? I know, but he's too stupid to know. Now, yeah. next we have worst overbite. Uh, and that one goes to good old Eddie, the Prince of Wales. That's right, the snob. Yup. As regarding our good friend, uh, Matt Gage. Right. Also our good friends, the Jews, for example. Yes. <laughs> uh, next, we have the Gibson Girl Award for Best Dressed. 
This uh, this was a tough one. It was. In an episode where people were really cranking it up to the nines, except in a few instances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Rosamond looked great. Mm-hmm. McGee continued to rock it. Mary's Mar- finally looking good. Yeah, she had a nice red dress. Uh, uh, I really liked one of McGee's, like, sea blue kind of dresses mm-hmm. that she had. Rose might have been in contention if it weren't for that horrible ball dress. Yeah. Uh, even Allsop, but Allsop was dressed kind of deliberately not as spectacularly, I think. I think you're right, yeah. Um, but the winner is Mac L. Yeah. For, uh, daring to go there with very bold color palettes, including orange and teal. Her ball dress was like the, the first dress that she wore kind of threw up on itself. <laughs> But uh, she was doing really interesting things with feathers and her hair and hats and headdresses and things. So she really knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I mean, certainly she stood out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which brings us to the Fashion Backwards Award for Backwards Fashion, a.k.a. The Backy. (laughs) That's right. And uh, that is going to Edith. Yeah, I don't give a shit what kind of postpartum depression you're having. (laughs) You look so good. And you just bought all new clothes. Why did all of your new clothes have to display your mental state? (laughs) Like, I'm surprised people couldn't just read her outfits like runes and be like, oh, shit, you've got a secret wedlock baby in Switzerland. Well, she went to the store for crazy aristocrats. That was her mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you want our secret baby department? Right this way. (laughs) Uh, Then we have the award for cutest baby. But in this case, we're giving it for the ugliest baby. That's right. And we're giving it to Accent. Yeah. Fuck you, Accent. We want McH to come back next season and marry Madeline Alsop. Mm -hmm. But Jesus Christ, if Accent isn't killed on the way back to his home continent, (laughs) I'm going to be really put out. Yeah. He can stay back and set up shop with Ivy or whatever, but he is an ugly, ugly baby. Mm Mm-hmm. And finally, the Maggie Smith scale of Maggie Smiths. It was a five. Like, it was so good. Two in a row, man. She's fucking killing it. Yeah. I mean, she had that whole, she had, I mean, her climactic exchange with Mac L. She had that whole thing in the car with Isabel, which was fantastic. The line about the Primrose Path of Dalliance. I liked her little exchange with Branson when they danced that mm-hmm. time. Like, just, like, just really, all her being so upset about the schemes that were going on around her. Just really great stuff. No, and so we're just, we're very excited about where we go in Series 5. You mm-hmm. know, we are kind of hopeful that they hang it up after Series 5. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty hopeful. Yeah. I just, I don't think there's that much more story left. Like, you know, if Mary picks another husband, we've seen how well it goes when she's happy. Right. And settled with somebody. You know, Edith's thing is going to be whatever it is, and I'm sure she's going to end, like, penniless in a gutter or something. <laughs> right. You know, Rose has some interesting prospects, and it's in everybody's best interest to get her married off as soon as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, McG and, and uh, LG will be pretty much as they were. Hopefully Branson will figure out what the fuck he's doing. Yeah, but I mean, The Dowager know. is going to either, you know, live or die. Right. Isabel's going to apparently, you know, get shanghaied into marrying Murdy. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, certainly, people will just do their shit, right? I mean, certainly, Bates will kill someone <laughs> as he must every year. <laughs> um, He's the one who sold his soul <laughs> off the leg. That's box. right. <laughs> <laughs> Except he has to kill a guilty soul. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly, Julian Fellows has claimed to be very aware that 
you know, it can't go on forever and that he needs to find the right well, time to end it. and Gareth Niemer developing this Gilded Age show, which right. I'm also extremely interested in. Sure. But I mean, it's, you know, just this, this story is, is wearing a bit thin. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think we'll still enjoy what's to come. Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's no need to drag it out. Right. But nonetheless, great job this season. We're ready to go for season five, given the appropriately long break that we will have. Yes. And in the meantime, there's lots of cool uh, Edwardian stuff to talk about. That's so right. It's going to be a fun time, y'all. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for sticking with us through uh, this season. And uh, we hope you'll join us for whatever our magical surprise episode is. <laughs> That's right. And uh, come on back for Mr. Selfridge, which if you haven't watched already, Series 1 is fantastic. Yes. Uh, we've heard great things about Series 2. Mm-hmm. Definitely worth investing some time in. You know, you can go back and, and listen to some old stuff if you're new to the podcast. Uh, there's plenty of things. This is what, our second, 72nd episode? Yes, yes it is. Pretty, pretty crazy that yeah. we've been doing it for this long. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, until next time. Off of yours, course, downstairs. downstairs. <laughs> that might not work. <laughs> I think we're on a delay. Right. Anyway, regardless, luncheon out. <laughs>